Sportsgrid.com. Saskatchewan's number one sports talk show is on. And now, starting an hour earlier, welcome inside the Radio Octagon. This is the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. Here's your host, Michael Ball. Welcome to the corner of 12th and Rose on this sunny Tuesday. Nicely into 2023. Wherever you're listening, however you're listening, thanks for making us part of your day. And as the calendar flips, we got some freshness around here. Now, same old voices. Yours truly, Michael Ball, across the table, operating the board, acting as a sidekick, my wingman, Sean Kleisinger. Zinger, Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year, man. You got to be pumped. Your your boy Aaron Rodgers was talking about how his team isn't done, and they kept fighting and scrapping and clawing, and now they got a big game against the Detroit Lions. Did they flex that into Sunday it's night? Sunday night, yep. And then Saturday is the Titans and the Jags for the AFC South. Whew. Wherever you're listening, however you're listening, thanks for making us part of your day. For the first time ever, the sports cage is on at three o'clock. I'm happy with that. I always thought. 4 to 6.30. It was nice. Hey, it was good, but I had no say on it. I thought it was always stupid ending on a half hour. Now, I know we did it for Pat's broadcast, but I think previous hosts did it out of laziness, to be quite honest with you, because the, the hockey game isn't all year round. So, uh, you know what I mean? Sometimes we had Rams. But give me a break. 3 to 6. More sports talk for you. Your sports talk leader in Saskatchewan is 620 CKRM, the voice of Saskatchewan, and the Sports Cage Rider Radio. Okay, so this show is brought to you by Andrew Shared Limited, providing plumbing, HVAC, and irrigation supplies across Western Canada since 1892. Learn more at Shared.com. We got a big show in store, so let's get right to it. Now, we'll get to the Connor Bedard. We know about Bedard. Hopefully, what he's doing at the World Juniors makes people show up now at the Brandt Center in the second half on mass because apparently the Pats aren't trading him so good. We get to watch him. Take it in while you can. Appreciate him. And I think that's really the word. Appreciate. Appreciate what you got. Appreciate life. Yes, Yesterday, Damar Hamlin of the Buffalo Bills making what looked like a pretty routine tackle, head high, like right around his chest area on T. Higgins running a crossing route across the field. You see it millions of times. Various levels of football. Gets up, then he collapses. They had to do CPR, use a defibrillator, uh, defibrillator on him on the field. He is still alive, in critical condition, sedated. They're helping him breathe right now. No other updates right now. His family, very appreciative of the support they are getting. And my first guest on the Western Pizza Hotline... Um, is a guy that uh, played at the University of Buffalo with the Buffalo Bills, with your Saskatchewan Rough Riders, now back with the Rough Riders. The president is back. Naaman Roosevelt, an assistant coach with the Rough Riders. We welcome him on the Western Pizza Hotline. Naaman, thanks for uh, joining me. Thank you, Mike. How you doing? Man? I'm doing good. Appreciate you guys. Yeah, for having me. we appreciate you too, man. And we'll get to you being back in Rider Nation. But I think, I mean, it would be remiss and it wouldn't be very classy if we didn't start talking about Hamlin uh, from uh, a Pittsburgh yeah. guy playing for the Bills, a late round pick. He was in there because Micah Hyde was hurt. And I'll tell you what, you, did you watch the play? You've obviously seen replays. What did you think just about the play and what happened there? I mean, you know, you, like you, I mean, you were saying earlier, it was just, uh, you know, uh, uh, the game started off real good. I mean, it was going, you know, it was going to be a good game, a good, you know, two good teams. And, you know, we just saw it was just a random tackle that, you know, you saw it happen. And, 
And then you, you know, they cut the commercial and you seen, you know, what, what they talked about where he just got up and he fell back down and just collapsed. So, you know, when, when that happened, I'm like, okay, maybe it's, you know, he got a concussion and, you know, fell days and fell back down. But when they showed it again and you saw the concern on people's faces, you kind of knew it was something different. And, uh, I mean, just to see somebody go down like that, you don't want to see that. And, you know, get getting CPR on the field, that's something you don't see before. So I know being a, you know, being a teammate and a, and a former player, I mean, that was just, you know, it brought tears to my eyes to see that happen because you don't want to see nobody, you know, that young, um, you know, uh, with, you know, living out his dream for that to happen to him. So it was definitely, you know, uh, you know, a scary moment. But you know, I'm definitely praying for him and you know the Buffalo Bills for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and it's uh, it's um, it's interesting because I think a lot of times, especially with the NFL, it's fantasy football, it's plug and play. Who's on my roster? You know, a guy gets hurt, he puts his thumb up, he goes on the backboard, he's off, and you find out later, oh, he's okay. Uh, I think sometimes as fans, we forget you guys are human beings. I mean, for you know, for sure. I mean, we you know we do this for entertainment and and uh, and excitement and you know bring you know cheers and stuff. But I mean, you know, we go out there and, and you know I was talking to my father last night. He was telling me he was like, man, I'm so glad that you know uh, you were able to make it through. And it's just like you know we play you know you play with your life on the line every every time you step on that field. It's like you know you going out there and you putting your life on the line for you know for entertainment and you know knowing that you know you have family. You you know you're you know you're a, uh, uh, a brother, a son, you know, uh, a friend of people. And, and I think that brought it to reality yesterday when you saw it, it was just, you know, it, it was definitely heartbreaking for, you know, for a lot of people, especially in the Buffalo area. I mean, Bill's Mafia is always traveling, always excited for the team. And even today, it was just like, it was a grim day in Buffalo for sure. Like, you know, talking to everybody, that's all everybody wanted to talk about was just what happened last night. So it was definitely, you know, uh, you know, it was on everybody's mind for sure. Nobody cares about the game. The game's secondary. But I think, hey, let's just call it a day, right? Give it, give both teams a tie and move on from there. And let's go. I think I don't think there's any way we can play the game between these teams right now. Let's just move on. I mean, I agree with you, yeah. Just let just move on to the next week. And, you know, hopefully we hear some good news in, you know, a couple of days. That would make the, you know, the, I know that make the Bills feel a little better about playing next week. But I know for the, you know, for the Bills and for the community and for Buffalo, they just want to, you know, hopefully hear some good news in these next couple of days. And, you know, hopefully, you know, you know, I'm definitely praying for, you know, uh, you know, Hamlin and hope he's, you know, he makes it through, but for the city, I know we just all praying and hope, you know, we hear some good news in these next couple of days and, you know, the team can keep going and, you know, keep fighting and, you know, uh, keep doing what they, you know, what they've been trying to do this whole season. So hopefully we hear some good news in the next couple of days for sure. And lastly, with regards to this, you know, it's one thing to be an NFL player like you were, but, when CFL players play, you know they really uh, they really aren't getting rich doing it. They're doing it for the love of the game, whether it's playing or coaching. I mean, for sure. I mean, you know, <laughs> you know, you gotta love this game, especially you know coming to, you know in the CFL. I mean, you know, this this is an opportunity for guys that you know maybe played in the NFL for a little bit or didn't make the NFL yet, and you know still trying to make the NFL or just trying to make a you know professional career out of this. I mean, the CFL was. You know, somewhere where people, you know, go to, to, you know, to show their talents off and, you know, you know, show their skills. And I think, you know, uh, for all of us, it's just, you know, we pray so much, you know, before games, during games, after games, which is, you know, hoping everybody makes it through. So, you know, one of the, you know, this is one of these crazy situations where, you know, it, it definitely comes with the game, but you definitely don't want to see things like that. But, you know, we, we definitely plan for them to hope things are well and, uh, you know, continue to, you know, same prayers his way for sure. This is Neiman Roosevelt now with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders as an offensive assistant. What does that mean? Are you going to be the receivers coach? Do you know exactly what they're going to do with you? 
Well, they want me to, you know, learn a little bit of everything. Learn to, you know, uh, help Coach Kelly, you know, learn the offensive, you know, play calling and, uh, you know, help also definitely help with the, want me to definitely help with the receivers. So I'm definitely going to help with the receivers, you know, most of the time. But just learning everything, I think that's the big thing for me. I wanted to, you know, learn just, you know, learn running back, you know, the position, learn the receiver. You know, I already know a lot about the, re- the receiver position, but keep learning more, keep learning more about quarterback position, learn about calling offensive plays, and, you know, learn from Coach Kelly and keep learning from uh, uh, Coach Dickey and keep learning from all the guys. I mean, I'm excited to just learn and keep going and keep improving. I feel like I did a good job at training camp last, you know, uh, you know, last year in the summertime, and I, you know, I think they saw that and you saw how passionate I was about just the game of football. So I think, you know, I'm just excited to, you know, keep that going and keep learning for sure. Did you always want to be a coach, Naaman? Actually, you know, probably my last couple of years where I was like, I was kind of turning into that older guy, you know, on the team where it was just like, <laughs> okay, I'm stepping into more of a, you know, I think of my year, 2018 was kind of a year where I was stepping into that role of, you know, I was the older guy on the team and uh, the older receiver on the team and, uh, you know, had to, you know, you know, T. Shaq and, and Swerve and, you know, Jay Will at that time. So it was just a whole, it was just a, you know, a better experience for me. But, I mean, I loved every moment of it. And I saw that, like, you know, me wanting to be that coach, wanting to be that guy that, you know, that's been through those, you know, different situations from, you know, the team, you know, winning, you know, three, four games my first year to, you know, winning, uh, you know, uh, conference, you know, division, you know, division champs and, you know, doing all that as, you know, Saskatchewan. I think, you know, I have that experience of just like, uh, Knowing where it started and knowing where we're at now and wanting to continue that, you know, success in Saskatchewan. I think, uh, you know, last year was just something that, I, you know, it's one of those years where, you know, pe- injuries happen, people get hurt, a lot of things can go wrong. But I think, you know, the team is still right there that, you know, at that level where they can win a great cup for sure. This is a Naaman Roosevelt, the president. Last question for you. Um, you talked about Bill's Mafia. I would say in the CFL, the comparison, you know, Bill's Mafia, the Packer Nation, and a Ryder Nation, pretty comparable uh-huh. here in the CFL. How how nice is it for you to come back here now full-time, back where everybody, uh, where you're revered, where people like you as a class guy and a good athlete? I mean, I'm excited. That's for sure. That's why, that's one one of the major things why I'm coming back. I just feel like, you know, it's a place that I know well. Um, the people are great, always treated me well. And, you know, I'm just, you know, excited to come there. And, uh, you know, when you, you go somewhere where you can work, where you kind of, you know, used to things and, you know, used to how things run, I think it, it, it works well. You know, you can jump right into, you know, right into motion. Like, okay, I know, you know, uh, where to tell, you know, where to tell guys where to go, you know, where not to go, you know, what to eat. You know how to, you know uh, how to take care of your body. You know who to talk to. So just certain things like that, where I feel like I can help with just not just on the field, but you know, Coach Dickie talked about that. Just off the field things of, you know, uh, using your time wisely. You know, you know we get so much. You know we get a lot of time after practice to, you know, uh, do other things. But you know, doing other things like watching more film, uh, taking care of your body a lot more. You know, as a, you know, guy that got, you know, that started and ended up getting a little older. You know, you learn those type of things of, you know. Uh, Taking, you know, using your time wisely. So I think I can help the guys with that for sure. The very wise president is back in Rider Nation. That is Naaman Roosevelt. Hey, we're happy to have you. Can't, uh, can't wait to have many more great conversations with you, Naaman. Enjoy the rest of the day. No doubt. Appreciate you guys for having me for sure. Yeah, go Riders. Yeah, go Riders. Naaman Roosevelt, the president back with your Saskatchewan Rough Riders. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with what happened in Cincinnati last night with a former beat writer for the Buffalo Bills, Tyler Dunn. This is the Sports Cage on 620. Our house.
house is your house. Welcome inside the sports cage on Saskatchewan Sports Radio, 620 CKRM. Well, you sometimes have a guy on a show and you're like, okay, I'm going to talk to him about this and I'm going to talk to him about that. And then something happens and you got a totally audible. And unfortunately, that's what we're going to do today. We're talking with Tyler Dunn. Tyler Dunn uh, just came out with a book that I actually bought over Christmas, man. The, the Blood and Guts, How Tight End Saved Football. And you're the founder of Go Long. I just started that book. What a great book, man. Good job. Hey, I really appreciate that. And thanks so much for having me back. Always great to connect here. Yeah, it is great. Great to connect. Now, we were going to talk about the Buffalo Bills and the Cincinnati Bengals. Maybe the best football game of the year, especially on a Monday nighter. And then in the first quarter, DeMar Hamlin goes down, unfortunately. They had to use a defibrillator on him, CPR. He's in hospital in critical condition. The crazy thing about it, Tyler, is it didn't, like, I've seen a lot worse tackles. It was just one of those one-in-a-million plays. It, it really was. I mean, in real time, watching it from up above in the press box, I've same reaction as everybody watching at home. It just seemed like an ordinary collision, an ordinary tackle, something that you'd, you'd see, what, two, three hundred times. And uh, obviously, as we know now, uh, it, it was anything but. And, um, man, I don't even know where we start with this. I guess it was just shock and terror and horror. And we were all kind of mortified once. Uh, and I... You know, I didn't really see what they were showing on the TV copy, but being there live and, and watching this all unfold, to, to, to see them go through the entire CPR protocol and, and give him CPR for eight, nine minutes, it, it was scary. Frankly, it's still scary. And I don't think we ever have seen or ever hopefully will see something like this. Again, it's one of those one-in-a-million uh, collisions and – I mean, those first responders to get right out and, and save his life um, is, is remarkable. And thank God they stopped the game. You, you could not even think about playing a football game, and, and now we just pray. Yeah, so, and that's absolutely right, man. When you think about it, all the players, everybody around those first responders, and for them to be timely and stay cool. We use in sports a lot, Tyler, the word hero or sudden death overtime. But uh, I'll tell you what, those are the true heroes right there. And the NFL, I'll get your thoughts on how the NFL handled this, but I think they have to be commended in the fact that the right protocols, and they had a hand in it, were met right there on the field. Yeah, I know that, you know, Joe, Joe Buck, uh, three or four times mentioned the five-minute warm-up period before you get out there. It seems pretty dang callous in the moment. Like, how can you even tell anybody to think about football, let alone play the most violent game on earth after these Bills players witnessed that their brother, their friend, I mean, Dane Jackson went to college with DeMar Hamlin at Pitt. Their best friends, I, he was inconsolable. I mean, so many of them. Tredavious White in tears. Josh Allen, the, the, the pale, just horror on his face. Stephon Diggs, the tears. But I, I agree with you. I mean, Troy Vincent came out and refuted that, and they, they did do the right thing. I mean, there's really no playbook no. for this in terms of it's easy for us from afar to be like, and I, and I was saying this in the moment, don't, how could you play a football game? Get the, get the hell out of there. Um, but they're going through conversations, and eventually the right thing was done, whether it was Sean McDermott and the Bills, Zach Taylor and the Bengals, the officiator, the fishing crew, the league. Uh, they, they realized that no, but nobody was in the state to, to play football, so they closed up shop. And I, you know, I, I guess at some point this week we talk about what this game means and the standings and how you even make up for it if you make up for it. 
right now there there's a 24 year old at a UT Medical Center fighting for his life, and that's all that matters. Yeah, absolutely right, man. This is Tyler Dunn joining us, and uh, he has covered the the Bills. He's covered the the Packers. Uh, just, like I said, just wrote a great book. He knows the NFL in and out. I, I thought the Bengals fans, you know, you go to the game, it's all celebratory. It goes from a wedding to a funeral-like kind of situation in terms of the mentality, just like that. Like it's, uh, You could hear a pin drop, but I thought they were very respectful. I was uh, I was remarking about that, and also, uh, I thought ESPN did a great job. As you mentioned earlier, uh, Tyler, there's no playbook for this, so I thought it was covered well, respectfully, and uh, all we can do now is hope that this man can fight his way back uh, somehow. Totally. I mean, that that's it, and I, I think that there's a tendency with the way the game is covered and how insanely popular fantasy football is, how insanely popular gambling is. I mean, the league has kind of wrapped its loving arms around gambling. And um, there's, a, there's a real tendency to kind of dehumanize these guys. And they're just nameless, faceless, plug them into your lineup, win your game, plug them into a gambling app, win your game, and just move on. I mean, these are, these are freaking human beings playing the most violent game on earth, that come from some really dark places to, to get here. They're literally risking their lives on the field. I think we have to remember the human element to pro football when we take this in. I mean, yes, it's entertainment. Yes, we derive, you know, enjoyment, and it's all, it's all that stuff. But I, mean, I, I know DeMar Hamlin really well. Um, we, we got together for Chicken Wings in Getzville, New York, just outside of Buffalo for a big feature at, at Go Long. And um, you, you learn about his upbringing and where he comes from in McKeese Rocks, just outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And basically, you know, before turning 21, said, you know, more than half of his childhood friends have died before they turned 21. I mean, the gang violence, the gun violence, I mean, it was very real. It was horrifying, and, and it he really wanted to bring about change to that region, change to the entire country, be an inspiration for kids who are in the same position as him, who, who had a father that was incarcerated for three and a half years and had to kind of cope with that. This kid has been through a lifetime of trauma uh, before this incident. I, I can't imagine what his family's going through, but I, I know that this... This is somebody with a will to live and a will to fight uh, that, that is fighting like hell right now. I'll tell you what, you can go to golongtd.com, and you uh, did pen an article. I say pen, but you typed out an article. Why DeMar Hamlin is exactly what the Buffalo Bills need. And and you, you kind of touched on him there. What what struck you the most about this guy? I know you just said he came from a troubled background. He had actually a toy drive going on. The goal was 2500 Last I saw, $3.5 million after this incident. In fact, that went to seven hundred thousand, just like that. Yeah, I mean, it's he's making the impact that he's always wanted to make. I, I think that this is really what gets him up in the morning. He wants to be an inspiration for kids where he grew up. You know, when he was twelve, I believe he's twelve. Um, he's, he remembers being in the courtroom and seeing his dad, you know, kind of getting sentenced to ten years. He did the three and a half drug possession. I, he, you, you lose a dad at that age, tenuous, fragile age, and. And you're in this environment where it's very easy to slip in the wrong group of people. I mean, he lost a lot of that 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 did slip into the streets. And I, I can vividly remember us sitting there at, at Elmo's eating chicken wings, and Demar just looking like, "Oh, how? Why am I the one whose life was spared? Why? Why am I here? I need I need to show kids that there is another life out there." I think that does drive him every day. And you're the NFL. You couldn't really imagine a better human being to prop up as an example.
you know, for for everybody who's consuming your product. It's the Marama. That just hits me right in the gut when I'm listening to you talk about that. I encourage everybody to go check it out. GoLongTD.com. Why DeMar Hamlin's exactly what the Buffalo Bills need. Thanks for your time, man. Safe trip. This guy right now is talking to us in a rainstorm going back from Cincinnati <laughs> to Buffalo. Safe travels, my friend. Okay, thanks for your time. Hey, anytime. I'm glad we can make it make it happen, hopefully under better circumstances next time. Thanks, thanks so much for having me. Man. Yeah, and all prayers going to DeMar for sure. Thanks, Tyler. Yeah, that's uh, Tyler Dunn from GoLongTD.com. Thanks to him for joining us as we got some great NFL contributors on the show. We said it would be a year of new contributors and different things going on. He is one of them, so thanks to Tyler for joining us. Ballsy along with Sean Kleisinger, the new sports cage. First day starting at 3 o'clock. Zinger, same old text line, 936-6262. What do you got there? Brian on the text line says, uh, this is a bit off topic, but hey, uh, Brian says, question, what is up with Jeremy O'Day? The guy is an invisible GM. Has anybody heard from him in the last six months? That's from Brian. Well, I mean, right now it's kind of a in-between phase. He's signing some guys. They've signed Nick Marshall, Charbel DeBeer. They've signed a few guys. Uh, can't really get anybody else's free agents going. I'm sure they're constructing a plan. Maybe we'll ask the coach that when we have him on after 5 o'clock as Coach Craig Dickinson usually joins us on Mondays, but of course, it was a holiday yesterday, so we bumped it to today. Back to this whole DeMar Hamlin thing. Yes. You saw it. I mean, you've watched football. As I've been around longer than you, so I've probably watched more football, but you're definitely a non- Knowledgeable sports fan. That that was just a routine tackle. And and listening to a doctor on CNN, he said it was like a heart punch. It hit him right at the exact time in between heartbeats, and uh, that's what happens. And unfortunately, uh, he, he goes down. Now, fortunately, how about the heroes helping to save his life at least to this point? Yeah, they got his uh, they got his heartbeat back on the field. I mean, after like. I mean, pretty nine minutes. Not, yeah, it was nine minutes, right? The CPR. Like, yeah, I can't like imagine what the players were were like thinking, like watching that happen. Like, you, well, you, you saw it on their you face. You saw Josh Allen, like, yeah. you know, watery eyes and stuff. Stephon Diggs, lots of those guys. I saw Stephon Diggs. He went to the hospital. So after did Zach and, Taylor, and, the and coach. Sweats. Yeah. yeah, so did Zach Taylor, the coach of the Bengals, uh, former Winnipeg Blue Bomber. I will tell you this though. This is easy for the NFL to fix. Let's not drag it out. Give each team a tie, and that's it for this week's action. And screw the betting. And I'm saying that as a guy that had money riding on this game. I could care less. There's a lot of money I could have won on that uh, parlay I had, but who cares? Let's hope for uh, Hamlin that he can get through this. This is the Sports Cage for Andrew Shared Limited on 620 Water. We're talking sports on your way home. This is the Sports Cage on Sports Radio 620 CKRM. It is 332 with your sports ticker for Bronco Plumbing and Heating, where professional service is guaranteed. They'll treat you right. Give them a call at 781-2090. Yes, the, the news in the sports world, Buffalo Bills safety, DeMar Hamlin suffered a cardiac arrest following a hit in Monday night's game versus the Bengals. His heartbeat was restored on the field, and he was transferred to the UC Medical Center for further testing and treatment. He is currently sedated and is uh, listed in critical condition. Thoughts and prayers, of course, go out to DeMar and his family. World Junior Hockey Championship. Well, Team Canada will face off against the United States tomorrow in the semifinals. That's a 5.30 p.m. puck drop Saskatchewan time. And the other semifinal, Czechia, takes on Sweden at 1.30. 
follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Sports Cage. Now back to the action on Sports Radio 620 CKRM. Each week, the Sports Cage highlights a coach making a difference both on and off the playing surface. This is our Coach of the Week segment, and joining me is U of R Rams receivers coach Addison Richards. Happy New Year, buddy. Happy New Year to you too, man. Good to be here. Yeah, so you're heading into your third year as a Rams coach. What do you appreciate about the job now that maybe you didn't when you started with the Rams as a player? Uh, honestly, the, the amount of time and, and effort that goes in behind the scenes as a coach, especially as a, as a volunteer coach, you know, um, now myself in this role and certainly looking back is when I was a player uh, these guys have day jobs that they're that they're at and they have you know families and and uh, personal things that that take up time and and still they find a way to uh, to put together you know practice plans and game plans and plan for uh, for the opponent each week so definitely the amount of time that that goes into it uh, I certainly uh, appreciate did you have good time management as a student athlete and has that helped you in this role uh, yeah, that's always been something that uh, I've kind of taken for granted, I guess. I've had that since uh, kind of going back to my high school days, but just being able to balance at that time, uh, you know, coursework and sports and nowadays balancing, a, you know, a full-time job, a career um, with, with the various coaching commitments that I have. So, yeah, it's something that's, that's always kind of come easy for me. Do you do other coaching in football besides coaching the Rams? I know you've been involved with Zelko Stefanovic and the Selects football program. Yeah, I'm. Uh, that's kind of my. That's my off season. I guess you could call it. Um, I'm in my tenth year now as part of the the selects program, uh, working with more of the varsity age athletes and uh, and coaching receivers um, with that program. And uh, yeah, we'll be headed back to Texas again in February. Um, always a lot of talent that comes through that selects program and uh, names that you'll eventually hear at the at the next level. So it's cool to see them before before they make that jump. You were a top pick of the uh, Winnipeg Blue Bombers coming out of U Sports with the Regina Rams played for Sheldon. Are receivers even better now than when you were coming up in the high school ranks? I would say they are. I would say that they're they're a lot more polished, I I find, than, uh, than going back, say, well, I'm, I'm starting to get up there, Ballsy, about you know <laughs> 10 years ago. Um, there's just, there's so much more available to them in terms of, the training, the uh, the elite teams in the province and, and the various other programs, such as uh, the Selects program, that these kids get to do um, year round uh, is is tremendous. Um, the coaching, I don't think, has has ever been stronger, and it only continues to get stronger. Um, so yeah, I, w- I would say the the caliber of of player is is certainly a lot better these days. Addison, lastly, what makes Addison Richards a good football coach? I think right now I'm, I'm, I'm not so far removed that I can, I can definitely relate to what these guys are going through uh, on the day to day, whether it's in their schooling, you know, kind of like we talked earlier about the time management. I, I try to draw from, you know, when I spend time with, with Rick Seaman and uh, Paul Lapalise back in the day, I try to be a teacher first and then worry about, you know, winning and losing kind of secondary, all these kids, all these guys, they all just want to get better. They all, they all want to, you know, have success in their careers. So trying to approach it from that angle and not just wins and losses and uh, really try to care about the person first. This is Regina's own Addison Richards of the U of R Rams, the receivers coach, also coaching with the selects, as you heard, our coach of the week here on the Sports Cage. The kings of Saskatchewan sports talk. This is the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM.
Michael Ball back with Sean Kleisiger and my man Zinger said, Ballsy, you got the sponsor wrong. Andrew Sherrod's a Monday sponsor. It is Saskatchewan Lotteries, the main fundraiser for over 12,000 sport culture and recreation groups. You can hit us up on our text line, weighing in on the new show, 3 to 6, on the stories of the day, one of them being Hamlin. The Buffalo safety who's still in critical condition. The other being Connor Bedard. What an absolute stud. But we already knew that. Hopefully more people will pay attention to him here in Regina once the World Juniors are over. We'll talk some World Junior hockey coming up here with Scott Wheeler from The Athletic and Peter Lubardius. All our guests come to you via the Western Pizza Hotline. Uh, Dine-in, take-out, or delivery. Get it hot, get it fast from <clears throat> Western Pizza. Joining us, our color commentator on the Rough Rider Radio Network, Luke Molliner. Uh, Luke, just your take on, I don't know if you were watching Monday Night Football. I was kind of going back between both. I saw, it's funny, I saw, not funny, haha, funny, but I saw the tackle from Hamlin on T. Higgins. I thought, okay, <clears throat> Bengals going down. I'll switch the channel, see how Bedard's doing. Come back, and everybody's huddled down on their knee. I'm like, what happened? here uh did you watch it did you see it happen live yeah i saw it and um also saw the replay and and it was it was really just sort of a textbook play being made on 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 hamlin on on the ball carrier um but i i think that i think that why this is such a sort of such a alarming and I, I'll tell you what man I was glued to my TV for the following hour me too like I knew that that game wasn't going to happen I knew that it was all bad news from that point on but I still was glued to the TV it reminded me a little bit of when I walked into my my buddy's apartment in Michigan State when 9-11 happened you you just couldn't help and I think the reason why um that it, it's it's sort of garnered as much um outreach of, of emotion and, and outpouring of love is because this is, this is devastation that's outside of the risk that players are willing to take on their own when it comes to any sport, right? You know, you look at hockey, Connor Bedard knows the risks, right? Um, knows that it's a physical game. Um, NFL, CFL, right? Jason Tucker, when, when he was paralyzed from the neck down and things, right? We, we've seen player deaths like Corey Stringer uh, of the Minnesota Vikings along long time ago, um, you know, a couple collegiate kids, unfortunately, this year. Um, and they're, they're all circumstances where, you know, it's, it's outside of the risk that we're normally take. And, I, and um, obviously, I thought ESPN and Rachel Nichols and everybody, uh, you know, that was covering the game did a great job, because really, what are you supposed to say in that situation? Right. right? Uh, the, those, the, the, uh, as parents, we, we, we can't imagine that being our kid. As athletes, we can't imagine that being our teammate. Um, and you know, as, as onlookers, you know, it was, it's just, it's just nice. I mean, he's, he's had $3 million donated to his charity, his toys charity since then. It's just nice that in, in instances like these, there are some sort of shining examples of, of human empathy and kindness that come out of it. But, uh, hopefully he can, he can get back to where he was physically and, and hopefully he just continues to improve health wise. He's still in critical condition and they don't have any further updates. This is Luke Molitor joining us for talking 
talking about Demar Hamlin, the safety of the Buffalo Bills that went down yesterday on Monday Night Football. I'm I'm glad you referenced nine eleven because back then I think they pushed the NFL schedule back a week or two. Yeah. For sure, it was a week. There's a lot of talk. What should the NFL do going forward? First off, I submit they just make that game a tie and move forward. So don't even re- don't even try to play that game again. Move forward. But I almost think they should push the the week back a week so that the all the the whole NFL entity can just let this thing marinate and settle down. Yeah, yeah, you know, and and it's, there's nine eleven. There's you know, there's unfortunately uh, for Saskatchewan, this hits close to home and 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 near the same gravity when it comes to uh, Humboldt, right? And again, it's because these are risk these these are extenuating circumstances outside of the risk of pl- players willing to take. Um, so um, it's I, I agree. I think that the NFL is, is probably trying to consider you know what they do with uh, their schedule. I, I think that obviously um, you know nobody will say it out loud, but th- there are business ramifications that are going to come of it that they need to consider. But um, I can't imagine that game being played. To be honest with you, I think that I think that one of the strategies might be is like you just said, sort of um, reserve the game as a tie for now and just sort of hope that the next couple of or the next week. Um, uh, sorts itself out with the other games and, you know, making the division right. So um, I, I tend to agree with you, man. I, I just, I, I, yeah, right now at the tie, I, I wouldn't I, I wouldn't even see how you could play the game. Well, who's going to complain? Like, who's going to be in the right mind, bitch, that, hey, I could have got second seed, but I got third seed when a guy, uh, who knows if he's even going to live? You know what I mean? Like, that's that yeah. pales in comparison, right? Yeah, totally. Right. Totally. And, and I think that, um, I think that that's where, that's where we're really starting to see just, um, you know, Hey, the, the drawing of the, uh, of the line when it comes to empathy, right. And, and players and, and, and more importantly, stakeholders of the league and, and, and people that watch and are fans of the NFL, um, you know, expect a certain amount of empathy taken in this situation. It's really nice to see. I think Luke, this brings, uh, home a bigger point, not a bigger point because there's nothing bigger than a guy that could lose his life on a football field. And Hamlin wasn't an all-star safety in the sense that he was making $8 million. He wasn't making Derwin James money, okay? Mm. But CFL players, the Luke Molliners, the Scott Schultzes, I'm just bringing two names up, but I mean, any of these guys, the Dan Clarks, the people... They're fans. They pay their money. Mm. Within, a, within a parameter, they've got a right to, you know, to be mad. But... I think too often we treat these players like robots. And when we're talking CFL players, these dudes are doing it for the love of the game. Yeah, I think that um, I think that whenever you have a circumstance like this, it needs to be treated from the human element. Ryan Clark uh, of ESPN, I think, really, really sort of um, – Sort of wrapped it all up in the bow by some of the comments that he made. Uh, again, this is this is it's not about athletes at this point. It's about um, it's, it's about a human being. And I know that um, this is I'm saying this knowing that human beings' um, lives are, are taken every single day, um, right? And and people are are being put in life threatening situations every single day um, that that aren't on a football field. So it doesn't make the the athlete any more important than than what other families are going through. But again, you know, it's just, it, 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 it does sort of create a different type of feeling because 
the world is watching, right? Because because this is, I mean, I mean, let's be honest, man. Like, look at the NFL numbers compared to the Christmas Day, uh, these NBA numbers on Christmas Day. It's not even close. The NFL is far and away the most watched sport in North America, and part of it is because of gambling, right? So you have all of these entertaining aspects that you really just hope that people push aside and realize that at the end of the day, that someone's father um, and that someone's that someone's son. And, uh, you know, I, I, man, I, I, if, if, if I was, you know, if I had a family or knew somebody in that situation that had that happen to their son, man, I'd be doing everything I could just to be helping them in support. Right. And, and hopefully people are doing that now for the Hamlin. Family. There's nothing like watching, like <laughs> I can't compare anything that I've gone through, but I'm, my son got hurt in a game. I'm watching it on TV in my basement. He's in the United States and he's being yeah. helped. He's being helped right. off the field. That was a shoulder injury. But oh. when you're sitting, no, when you're away from it, you just can't, you're like, Holy, you feel so helpless. You feel sick to your right. stomach. Totally, I totally feel you. I, I man, I and I can't imagine it, man. I remember when we played in 2010, man. I remember having like the, uh, the longest conversation with Leron Mitchell. Um, it was his first start as a Canadian. It was the Grey Cup, and we talked about how long it had been for him, what his journey had been like. Um, just you know what I mean? How how excited he was to finally be starting, and really strategically, we really needed him on the field because our ratio, we we had an imbalance. Mm-hmm. And Laurent got hurt. He snapped his leg on like the first play, and and I'm not. I'm his teammate at the time, and I just I I couldn't feel. I had an empty feeling even when we restarted the game, man. I I couldn't shake the empty feeling in my stomach. So I can't imagine what it's like for parents. You know, I've seen my my daughter Maddie get injured and and be on the on the mat for 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 quite a bit of time, but nothing like like I, like you you know like you felt being an, an entire country away, knowing that you know your son who you're so proud of and and you know his sister that that she's so proud of him are, are watching helpless right yeah no for sure lastly luke do you regret playing football or do you regret the game of football when you watch something like that or when you see your teammates legs snapped or or things you've gone through i wouldn't change my path for the world if you offered me all the gold and all the all the money i, I wouldn't there's nothing that i would change and 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 i didn't have and and i'm saying this as somebody who made a ton of mistakes along the way but i wouldn't change one minute of it and i think that that's what the other piece is you know we saw we saw so many guys you know steve mcmichael um, you know, the, the, the legendary uh, Hall of Fame Chicago Bears defensive lineman, you know, uh, got, I think it was Lou Gehrig's disease. Um, I can't remember what disease it is. Yeah, but it was. It was. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and on his deathbed, Baldy, what he say? He wouldn't change it for the world. He wouldn't change it from then to now, to lying in his bed, not being able to fend for himself physically. He still wouldn't have changed anything about his life. And I feel the same way. It's, it's, it's just brought me so many more blessings than it has. Um, you know, setbacks. But again, that. But again, I'm lucky because I have never had something that devastating happen outside that was outside of the risk that I knew I was taking every time I strapped up. Well, one of the blessings is I get to meet a friend in Luke Molitor and work the broadcast with you, so I'm happy you did play and we got to meet each other. We'll talk later in the week. Yeah, Thank, thanks for your time. Have a great day. Oh, man, thank you guys. We got an extra hour of Sports Cage, man. This is nothing but good news for Saskatchewan. (laughs) Enjoy the first show, boys. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. That's Luke Mulder joining us on the Western Pizza Hotline. We'll be back with more here on the Sports Cage, your voice of Saskatchewan 620. The kings of Saskatchewan sports talk. This is the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM.
Welcome back to the Sports Cage. This show is brought to you on this Tuesday by Saskatchewan Lotteries, the main fundraiser for over 12,000 sport, culture, and recreation groups. And our junior hockey expert, Scott Wheeler, joining us from The Athletic. He is uh, down there in Nova Scotia for the World Juniors. Happy New Year, my friend. Back at you, pal. I appreciate it. All right. So what a wild day yesterday. We'll get to the Canadian game in a minute. First off, uh, no big surprise, U.S. a role in Germany. I am surprised Czechia is as good as they are. Are you surprised by that? Not really, honestly. Uh, this, this Czech team is big. They're strong. They play really sort of hard, heavy game. That tends to work on the North American ice. They were the team with the most uh, returnees who were eligible to come back for this tournament that had played in the summer tournament. I believe there were 16 of them. Uh, They didn't get all 16 of those returnees back and healthy here, but uh, the core from the summer tournament, which made it all the way to the semis uh, and ultimately finished fourth after losing in the bronze medal game, that core is back, and it's led by David Juracek, who is one of the best players in this tournament. Stanislav Zvozil, who might be uh, a top 10 player in this tournament, and Yuri Kulich, who is one of the better forwards in this tournament. So they've really got a core nucleus of three excellent players. They've got an excellent goaltender, a potential goaltender of the tournament, and Thomas Sukonik. And the rest of their team plays a sort of hard, heavy, committed game. So I actually think they've got a real chance here to potentially upset Sweden in, in the semifinal and, and play for gold or silver. Let's talk about Sweden for a second. What a stunning win over Finland, scoring with about three minutes to go, and then the, uh, the winner shorthanded. Yeah, that was an excellent game, almost overshadowed by how great the Canada game was last night. But if not for the, the Slovaks making that Canada game really tight, the, the Sweden-Finland game would have been the game of the tournament so far. Just uh, quite the scene in Moncton. I'm, in, I'm based out of Halifax for the tournament, so I was watching it on TV like everybody else. But uh, Leo Carlson's a, a fabulous, fabulous player, scored scored two of those three goals for the Swedes, and he's going to be a top-five pick in this upcoming draft. And then on top of that, they... They just had big moments in, uh, from, from their captain and Victor Sternborg driving down the ice shorthanded to score. So uh, that was uh, sort of exactly what you're hoping for out of a, a classic Canada or a classic Sweden-Finland game. Okay, paint the uh, radio picture with your words. What was the, uh, what was the emotion, uh, emotional situation like in that building last night? Canada gets up and then it's kind of white knuckle time. It was unbelievable. It was uh, sort of what this tournament is all about. It's it's about tension. It's about lead changes. It's about momentum. It's about kids who have never played on this stage, right? This is the first time that these kids have been in a moment like this. The pressure gets them a lot easier than it does a, a player in the NHL, for example, in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And as a result, there are just such incredible ebbs and flows that happen uh, uh, sort of in this tournament. And that is, that's why we all tune in, right? It's for those surprising games, those tighter games than we expect. Uh, and that's what last night was. It was, it was incredible to be in the building. I was there for Mason McTavish pulling it off the goal line uh, this summer in Edmonton. And that was a classic World Junior moment. And then Connor Bedard created yet another last night. So I'm sure TSN is thrilled that they get another montage moment, that's for sure. Yeah, you wrote that in your uh, fine article at the at the Athletic. You can follow this guy at Scott C. Wheeler. He's a great follow on Twitter. Okay, so I see Bedard quite frequently here in Regina. I see Svozel in Regina. Uh, but what about Bedard has stuck out to you here? With You've seen him again. Uh, you were in Edmonton there, obviously. But here, on a, on a more traditional stage for the world juniors, I mean, we're running out of words to describe this guy. Yeah, we really are. And the, the two things that I think have stood out most about Connor in this tournament are 
two things that don't get talked about enough with him, which is A, how competitive he is. He has risen to the physical challenge against bigger, stronger players in many cases. Uh, he, he's going to the front of the net. He's planting himself on screens. He's finishing all of his checks. He's playing through contact and splashes and hooks. And I think that part of it has, has really impressed a lot of NHL folks here. And then on top of that, just his ability to play make. Everybody talks so much about the shot, but he is on a completely different wavelength than everybody else in this tournament as a passer as well. And I think that is what is going to distinguish him in the NHL as much as his ability to put the puck in the net with that shot of his. He just sees the game. He, he's not always looking to sort of force the shot. And uh, he, he really does open up his plane of sight and, and assess the ice and break things down at a very, very high level. So uh, those two things, just the playmaking and, and the competitiveness, uh, we all know he's going to score a lot of goals in the NHL, but the rest of that will make him a, a true sort of superstar. You know, I, I really respect you. You're a young guy, but you've got uh, a bright mind for the game. So let me ask you, Scott Wheeler, who would you compare him to? I've heard comparisons to Marcel Dion from some broadcasters. I've heard, uh, you know, maybe a Paul Correa. I've kind of set a Braden point. Who do you see Connor Bedard translating to? If you could kind of sum it up for my listeners. I like Paul Correa. Uh, I also like Steve Eiserman in terms of that ability to, to kind of do it all offensively. EBY was uh, obviously an excellent, mm-hmm. excellent defensive player and a, a real two-way player in his own right. He was often overshadowed on that team because Fedorov was the best two-way player in the world at the time, but uh, I think Connor's really coming along on that side of his game, just the, the tracking back. I talked about the competitiveness, the big moments, and he also just in terms of his personality off of the ice strikes me a lot like CBY did. He's, uh, I, I want to say stoic, but Stoic doesn't even really do it justice. He, this moment is not too big for him. I don't think there's any moment that's too big for him. And Iserman was the same way. And, and they had some similarities in terms of their skill with the puck and their ability to break a game open. But uh, Iserman was also sort of infamously just such a determined, focused player who would really take these moments into his hands and just will a play into existence. And that's what Connor did last night, right? That's mm-hmm. That was, for me, more than anything else, the fact that he hung on to that puck late in a shift, that he extended his shift to make that play, he'd been out there for a while, and then just the determination to drive to the net instead of shoot it uh, when he's out of gas. It's just a, a truly sort of special play from a special player, and it, it reminded me sitting up in the press box last night of, of Stevie. I love the fact Halifax and Moncton host this tournament. I love when Saskatoon and Regina get it. Uh, those kind of markets really seem to soak this thing in. Yeah, this is this is what it's meant to be. This is what it's all about. I think uh, we saw what it looked like in Toronto and Edmonton and Vancouver and Montreal, and it just wasn't uh, it wasn't the success story that it is in these smaller markets. And I'd love to see it back in a place like Regina. I'd love to see it go to Quebec City, who've never hosted it, and now have a beautiful facility that Quebec City actually bid on this year's event mm-hmm. and, and was unsuccessful in terms of securing it. But uh, I thought their bid with Toile Pierre would have been a lot of fun and. Uh, it doesn't need to be in the the biggest cities in the country uh, every single year. So I'm looking forward to them seeing the success here and potentially going back to that. My last question for you, Scott Wheeler, and I appreciate you taking your time during the Team Canada's practice here. Okay, lastly, uh, assess Team Canada for me. How do you feel about their performance so far? Bit of a mixed bag. I think in moments they have looked like the team that everybody believed they were going to be, this sort of unstoppable team, one of the more talented teams that, that has played in this tournament in recent years. But that just has not sort of been the case, at least not from start to finish. They're still overwhelming teams. They're still the most talented team 
in the tournament. But there are there are flaws in this team, Canada. Uh, I think goaltending has obviously been tremendous and a pleasant surprise for them. But you still can't be absolutely sure that uh, in a tournament with Carl Lindbaum and and uh, Trey Augustine and. Uh, Thomas Dukanik, who I mentioned earlier, playing like they have, you can't be sure that Thomas Milich is the best goalie on the ice. So uh, I think if they, uh, the only way they're going to lose a game in this tournament, I've said this from the beginning, is if they run into discipline issues. Uh, that's often how Canada shoots itself in the foot at this tournament. If they take four or five penalties or take a major penalty at some point in the game, that's when I think things will unravel. Otherwise, they, they, they should be the better team on the ice, including tomorrow against uh, a very, very strong USA team. So I uh, can't wait for tomorrow's semifinal. It's going to be a great one. That's the very good Scott Wheeler from The Athletic. Thanks for your time, man. Enjoy the rest of the week. Thanks. Cheers. Show is brought to you by Saskatchewan Lotteries, the main fundraiser for over 12,000 sport, culture, and recreation groups. Lots of great guests. If you missed any of the show, which is new, 3 until 6, you can still get it in podcast form wherever you get your podcasts. Our text line, 936-6262. Zingers on that, patrolling that. Uh, send your texts in, what you think of the show, what you think of the sports goings on so far. A couple of big stories we're following. Of course, Damar Hamlin, uh, Hamlin, the safety of the Bills, who's still in hospital in critical condition after that hit on T. Higgins yesterday. And Connor Bedard, do you think we're going to see more fans at the Brandt Center because of what they're seeing on the international stage? Sometimes, Zinger, you need other people to to uh, point the interest so that you uh, pick up on it. I hope so, but I don't know if people are willing to spend $50 to go to a game, and if you want to take your whole family, that turns into like 150 bucks. Things are so expensive these days, you know? I got a feeling, and I have no inside knowledge here. I Listen, they're not trading him. The kid doesn't want to get traded. We're not trading him. Uh, I got a feeling. I feel like this could be the last year for this ownership group. Hmm. I do. I don't have any. I don't have any uh, backing to that. It just kind of my spidey senses are tingling. Mm-hmm. They're tingling. Corner twelfth and rows. A Pats traded goalie Matthew Keeper today to the uh, team that's hosting the Mem Cup, the Kamloops Blazers. We'll have more sports talk here on the Sports Cage with Arash Madani around the corner. This is the voice of Saskatchewan. Six twenty. C- 620 CKRM is proud to be the official radio partner of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and your home for the hottest sports talk anywhere. This is the Sports Cage with your host, Michael Ball. Time now for Coast to Coast with Arashma Danny, our weekly chat with a guy who has covered it all. From Hockey Night in Canada, the Olympics, World Series Baseball, and everything in between, this is Coast to Coast with Arashma Danny. For smart investing solutions, be smart with your money. Call Brian Golly at Smart Investing Solutions, 546-2533. Sports cage on an hour earlier, so we're bumping everybody up and changing things around. You can look for a rash in this time slot generally now, about 4.07 each day. Before we get to a rash, though, the story of the day, besides Connor Bedard here locally, is Damar Hamlin, the safety of the Buffalo Bills, still in a... uh, hospital in Cincinnati in critical condition after uh, tackling T. Higgins yesterday. Here's Mike Tomlin, who I think is the class of the NFL. He could coach my NFL team anytime. This guy is the best coach in the NFL, including Bill Belichick. Let's hear from Mike Tomlin. Uh, before I open up for questions, I'll, 
I'll say this about uh, DeMar Hamlin. Man, it's a really personal thing for me, uh, being a Pittsburgher. And that young man, being a Pittsburgher, I've known that guy probably since he was about 12. Um, just got a lot of respect and love for him as a human being. His commitment to the pursuit of his uh, goals and dreams of doing what it is he's doing right now, which is playing in the NFL. And to watch him make personal decisions and, and, and make that a realization, it's just an honor to get to know young people like that. I had an opportunity to express that to him whenever I see him. We've played Buffalo each of the last two seasons, and he and I get to have a moment because it's just cool to 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 not only appreciate these guys in terms of where they are now, but to to know them since they were younger people and to to watch their maturation, their development, to watch them you know earn what they've been chasing. It's just really a, a cool thing, and he's an example of that. I got a lot of love for that young man. We lifted he him and that organization up in prayer. Reached out to Sean McDermott to lend whatever assistance I could. I don't have a lot to add other than that. I just respect the fact that you guys appreciate how personal it is for, for me, not only for me, but just for all of us as people that, that thrive in this space. That's not obviously something that you ever want to see. Now to Arash Madani on the Western Pizza Hotline, our uh, Sportsnet a stud reporter who joins us a couple of times each week. Happy New Year to you, uh, Arash. I wish our first conversation could be on a different note. Now, before we get to the NFL and what they're going to do or what they should have done, just you've been in a lot of situations. You've traveled the highways and byways. Uh, have you ever been in a situation like that where it was like from a, a celebratory fans in full throat drinking to an absolute, uh, you could hear a needle drop? Um, I haven't, Ballsy, and Happy New Year to everybody listening. And, you know, I've been in scenarios, or I haven't been, I've been in a stadium where there were, there have been scary incidents where a stretcher has been brought out, an ambulance has been brought out, and you're wondering, is this person going to be, you know, okay from the standpoint of, you know, paraly- potential paralysis or whatever, but then they're, you know, you see the feet moving, you see the hands moving, you see the thumbs up, etc. I don't know if any of us anywhere can remember being in a situation of watching a game where you're wondering about life and death. Yeah, I mean, we and, had the, we had the ambulance with Mike Edom on the field here and the, right. the back brace, but uh, yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I can't remember it. I guess the last guy to die on a field in the NFL was Chuck Hughes in 1971, a receiver for Detroit. He collapsed at the feet of Dick Butkus running back to the huddle. And there, there are so many different layers to this thing, but when you saw the reaction from the Buffalo players and when you watched that initial replay, I mean... That was so beyond what we consider to be, you know, a football injury, even though it was one. I, I initially, for those of a certain vintage who may remember Hank Gathers, that's where my mind took me. Right. The former basket, college basketball player, Loyola Marymount, who collapsed and died um, during a basketball game back in the 90s. But the reaction from Stefan Diggs and Josh Allen, even Sean McDermott, stoic Sean McDermott, uh, that to me suggested that they saw something on the field that none of us did on the TV broadcast. And that's probably why it was nine minutes of CPR and trying to resuscitate them and, and all those things. Yeah. So, Arash, uh, the game is secondary, but I yeah. want to get your thoughts on how it was handled initially and where do you think they go from here? Where should they go from here? 
Well, I know where you're going with the question, Balsy. I want to pivot just one little angle on this. Sure. We now live in a world where they have tried to remove headshots completely from the game. Mm -hmm. Defenseless receiver in college, there's targeting, um, you know, roughing the passer, all of it. Understandably because of the brain and doctors long talk about, there's two things you don't mess with. You don't mess with the heart. You don't mess with the brain. You know, you break your leg, you put it in a cast, you go through with it. You tear your ACL, you have surgery, you break your collarbone, your shoulder, your elbow. There are procedures for that. There aren't for the heart. There aren't for the brain. So moving forward, what happened last night? That was a traumatic blow to the chest heart area because defenders are now coached, taught to not go after the head. Receivers are taught to not, they can't do it either, really. So their full bore, T. Higgins is what, 60, 70 pounds heavier um, than Hamlin? Yeah. And that blow to the chest may very well have been what caused what the Bills are calling cardiac arrest. So under this backdrop, okay, we're not going to take out guys' knees. We're not going to go for their heads. We can't go for their chest and their, you know, chest area. How the heck are you going to play football? How the heck are you going to make football safer? And I think the, the bottom line here is that football is not safe. Football cannot be made safe. And now, now we live in a world where it's not just the fear of injury, fear of brain trauma. This is not hyperbole. Now there is literally the fear of death on the field that can happen because of how the game has changed. Yeah, it is. And, and I think, and I don't disagree with anything you said, but, you know, listening to a, one cardiologist talk about it, 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 it was a hit at the, like a heart punch. It was literally at the exact millisecond between heartbeats at a one in a bazillion chance of happening. But you're right. I mean, it is because we've changed the game and you can't make the game any safer. It is what it is. This is what it's going to be. Not, not death. We know what happens in certain situations or near death experiences, but uh, it is not a safe, safe sport. So going forward, Arash, I know what I would do, but I want to get your opinion on what the league should do going forward here. Well, I think what the league is hoping for is that they play week 18 and that from a standing standpoint, the result of Cincinnati Buffalo won't matter when it comes to seeding or home field advantage or anything like that. And if that's the case, they can just call it a tie. Mm -hmm. But if it's not, this is what I wonder. I wonder if they will give the entire league a week off. Cincinnati and Buffalo play that game on what should have been wildcard weekend. And then you don't have two weeks between the conference championship games and the Super Bowl. You just do the one week. The precedent for that has been set. Um, after 9-11, that's what they did. They didn't have two weeks. They only had one week. Yes. And in the COVID year, 2020, they gave themselves a buffer just in case. 
What are your thoughts? No, that's exactly you, you. It's like you were listening to the show. That's exactly what I said. I said it should be yeah. a tie. Move on, a tie. I can't see a scenario where you ever play that game. Too many scars. Uh, no, just move on. It's a tie. Who gives a crap about the standings? Nobody. Who's going to complain that I could have had the third seed or the second seed when Hamlin could, uh, you know, be in a different state than he is now? Like you know what I mean, where he never plays football again, or worse, yeah. passes away, and then and then. And the other thing is, you're right. To give the week, give them a week off. If you care about players' safety, even their mental state, that's your product. I say, give them a week off. And here's what's kind of, I don't want to say lost in this. Here's what's not being discussed today, because understandably, Hamlin is fighting for his life in a Cincinnati hospital room. You're right. The mental health toll that this can take on anybody who was on that field is significant on both sides, mm-hmm. Cincinnati and Buffalo. They both saw it. But what, what, what it really isn't, how do, you, how do you feel today if you're T. Higgins? How do you feel today if you were on the other side of that hit? And you're doing okay physically. You're not in a hospital. You're not fighting for your life. And you're watching what's happened here. He did nothing wrong. Nope. Um, but but they're... Um, there's a mental toll that comes with that, and that's that's serious and that's significant. We will have a Rash Madani Thursday, the same time slot as we've changed things up on the new and improved sports cage. Thanks for all your work. We'll talk to you Thursday, my friend. Thanks, Bozzi. That's Rash Madani from Sportsnet joining us coast-to-coast segment for Smart Investing Solutions. A guy that won a Super Bowl. The only Saskatchewan kid ever to win a Super Bowl. We'll get his thoughts on that situation with the Buffalo Safety Hamlin. John Ryan joins us next. It's the sports cage for our friends at Saskatchewan Lotteries. On the voice of Saskatchewan, 620. Saskatchewan's best coverage of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders is on the sports cage. Right here on the mighty 620 CKRM. Take on the for the shot. Tries to get her back up. It does, but it's now poked back out. Stolen by Stankholm. Into the dark. Here he comes. Scores! Connor Bedard passes Eric Lindros for the most points all time for a Canadian at the World Juniors, and he also passes Jordan Eberle for the most goals all time for a Canadian at the World Juniors. And not only that, well, he sends his team into the semifinals tomorrow against the United States of America. On the other side of the bracket, it's Czechia versus Sweden. So there's really no other way to put it. Connor Bedard is your sports cage clutch performer today for Nick Service and Emerald Park. Your local Massey Ferguson challenger, Rogator, Gleaner, and Fent dealer can give them a call at 781-1077. Yeah, thanks, Zinger. Hit the nail right on the head there. And here's something else. Check this out. Most points by an under-18 skater at a single World Junior Hockey Championship tourney. Yessi Pugliarvi, 
who can't do it in the NHL, but at the World Juniors, 17 points. Eric Lindros, 17 points. Wayne Gretzky, 17 points. Yarmer Yager, 18 points. And the guy with the most points for an under 18 year old skater at a single World Junior Hockey Championship. Connor Bedard with 19 points going into tomorrow's semifinal matchup versus the United States of America. In the United States of America, Regina football royalty John Ryan joins us in the Western Pizza Hotline. And uh, when you're talking Western Pizza, dine in, take out, or delivery, get it hot, get it fast, Western Pizza. John, thanks for taking my call. Before we get to the NFL talk, uh, Connor Bedard, I don't know if you had a chance to watch him much when you were playing here, if you even had a chance. I don't even know if you had a chance to watch him play. I'll let you answer that, but have you seen what he's been doing on the international stage? <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> sorry. It's uh, it's ridiculous. It's it's so impressive. He's such an amazing talent. Uh, when I was in Regina, I didn't get a chance to see him, but playing at Edmonton this year, uh, I went to all the World Junior games and the, the Summer World Juniors, um, and I got to see him play a number of times. Was just uh, thoroughly impressed with what he brings to the table. So I've been watching your advent calendar with you and your wife drinking every, uh, having a different uh, uh, shot of whatever, liqueur, uh, every uh, day. I noticed strategically you have a glass of red wine to wash it down. (laughs) There's nothing better to wash down a bad shot than uh, with a glass of red wine, I think. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm really uh, trying to uh, stay away from alcohol for January here because uh, in the advent calendar for 12 days now I need to, to dry out a little bit. Well, I saw you were all muscled up there, so it didn't affect your muscles. But let me ask you, you the best shot you had? Oh, the, uh, they were all pretty bad. Um, there was a, a peanut butter uh, whiskey shot that was the best. A screwball shot was the best. But uh, some of the shots we did were like uh, like warm uh, Bailey's type drinks. They just uh, yeah. they don't sit well. Uh, what about that cucumber one you guys had? That was really bad too. Yeah, lime, looked- lime cucumber vodka. Yeah. Who came? Did your wife Sarah come up with that, or you, or how did you do that? <laughs> you, it's funny. We had a Christmas party in 2019, right before you know COVID hit. And someone brought us a gift that was a, an advent calendar with just absolutely terrible, you know, shots in it. And it was kind of just sitting under the tree or sitting in the corner. And then during COVID, we just were, you know, really in lockdown here in LA really badly. And we just got bored one day and said, wouldn't it be funny if we just started doing these, these shots on, uh, on, uh, Instagram one at, one at a, one at a time, one at a, one a day. And that's just how it started. People loved it. So now we've done it like three times now. And every time it's kind of a, a become a bit of a hit. Regina Football Royalty Super Bowl winning uh, kicker for the Seattle Seahawks, former Rough Rider John Ryan joining us. John, before we get to the actual incident yesterday, have you ever been on a field when something uh, bad has happened? Uh, Mike Adam was here last year. You weren't here for that. But where something bad happened to a teammate and how that just changes everything on the sidelines and in the stadium on the playing surface. Uh, yeah, yeah, I have. Um, I, I was on the field uh, in Dallas is, you know, whatever, about 2014, 15, 16, somewhere around there. Uh, and, uh, you know, teammate and a, a brother and a friend of mine, Ricardo Lockett was covering a punt and, uh, he broke his neck on the play. And, uh, it's, uh, it just, it, it's like the weirdest, most terrible feeling you can ever imagine. You know, you just, first of all, you just, you, you pray for his safety and you know, pray that he's going to be all right. Uh, and then your thoughts kind of go to his family. You know, they're they're watching the, on TV, and as I always say, when there's a serious injury, what's the first thing they do is they cut the commercial. So his family's uh, sitting somewhere a couple thousand miles away, not knowing what's what's going to happen with their son, and we're all on the sideline not knowing what's happened to our brother. So it's a, it's a terrible, terrible feeling. 
uh, in that particular case, uh, you know, Ricardo Lockett lived, but uh, that was his last play of, of football. He had broken his neck, so it's a it's a it's a terrible thing when it happens. What did you think last night when that went down? Uh, I just I knew right away it wasn't good. Um, I think the, the the manner in which he went down, you know, not staying down after a hit, uh, you know, you knew it was, uh, you know, probably something with his heart. Um, you know, you saw the reaction. Uh, of the medical staff coming out in the urgency, uh, the look in their face, and you knew it was serious. And, um, you know, just when the players, uh, you know, formed a wall around him. Uh, oh, sorry. Yeah. It's... You know, you know uh, how, how serious that is, you know, and we saw their faces and um, their reaction to it. It was just, you know, your your heart just went out to everybody. Yeah, it's touching when you, like, I could tell it's bothering you, and I apologize if I... Uh you know, to upset you, but it, it's, it's, it's nice for me to talk to somebody that's been in a locker room like that. I've, I've said this a lot about football players, about football. I would love to take, I wish we could take society behind a dressing room door because you got black people, you got white people, you got Asian people, you got Republicans, you got Democrats, liberals, conservatives here in Canada, uh, Catholics, Lutherans, atheists, you all come together, you wear that same jersey and you put that all aside. You don't got to like all the guys, but they are, at the end of the day, they are your brothers because you know what they're going through, they know what you're going through. It's something that unless you've been there in a locker room, you can't really describe and I think just by uh, you know your, your quivering voice there, we can tell what it means. Yeah, it, it, it's a brotherhood. It really is. And, you know, you spend, uh, you know, during the season, you spend more time with these guys than you probably do with your family. You know, you're, you're in there 70 hours a week. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, you know, it, it really is all about family. You know, uh, football is uh, pretty much everyone that played at the NFL level. It was, other than family, uh, football was their first love. So they just love playing that game and love playing it with their brothers. Uh, I mean, you see something like this happen. It just it's it's devastating because at the end of the day, we all we all do love it. Uh, and, and since that being our first love, uh, it's not our last love. And uh, at the end of the day, everyone has the same thing in common. They just want to go home to their family. Uh, when you see a guy not able to do that, it's pretty painful. Yeah, absolutely, it, it it's painful. So you aren't playing anymore. You don't have any direct relationship to Hamlin. But what do you think the NFL should do? Just judging by your voice, I've said they should call that game a tie and take a week off for the entire league. Yeah, it's tough. You know, I don't, I don't know what the right answer is. Uh, I think last night, I think a lot of people were upset when they said they were going to give it five minutes and then continue play. Um, I think that we got to realize is uh, there's just some guy on the sideline with a clipboard and, uh, uh, you know, probably ESPN in his ear, and he's just following protocol. And when they stopwatch goes past a certain amount of minutes when the guy's hurt, the next, the next ruling is that they're going to give the players a five-minute warm-up, and I think that's how that kind of got leaked out there. That they're going to give the players five minutes. I don't think the NFL was ever going to let those guys go back on the field. I don't think those players were ever going to go back on the field. Uh, and thank goodness it didn't come across right away that they got it right, but they did get it right uh, as of yesterday. And now it's uh, it's a tough it's a tough call. You know, it's uh, you know it's, it's the NFL. It's quite the machine, but you know we're talking about uh, a young man's life here. Yeah, how, uh, how, but how do they? How do they ever play that game again? Like, if it's a playoff game down the line and Cincinnati and Buffalo meet, fine. Like, say, for an AFC championship game. But that actual game, how do they ever play it again? Would you want to play it again? I wouldn't want to play it. No, absolutely not. You know, I think I think the right call is to, you know, market a tie or, you know, market a no game and go by win percentage instead of wins and losses in that, uh, in that scenario. 
but uh, I just, you know, this is a this isn't going to be something they're going to recover overnight. You know, they'll be able to play tomorrow. This is something that they'll. It's just going to take years and years for these guys to recover from. And this is really when I think the NFL will just step up and really say that, you know, we we really care about these guys' mental health, uh, and they need to make a statement, and not only make a statement, but kind of put their money where their mouth is because every single guy on that field is going to need some type of help. Uh, and you know, it's it's one of those things where back in the day it was a uh, you're weak if you're you know, admitted that you need mental health. Uh, you need help, uh, and now it's a, it's a strength, and uh, all these guys need uh, some form of help because what they just saw is uh, you know just <laughs> devastating. So, well, I don't know how to know what the right thing is. Uh, you know, I think uh, we'll kind of stand by and see if the NFL does, but uh, I, I don't know what the answer is. While we stand by, uh, we will uh, pray, or at least if you don't pray, you'll have thoughts directed towards uh, Mr. Hamlin there in a Cincinnati hospital. Jan- uh, John, thanks for always taking my call. I appreciate it. Absolutely, buddy. Thank you. That's John Ryan, Regina Football Royalty, with some very powerful words and emotions there uh, joining us on the Western Pizza Hotline. We'll have more of the sports cage after the 430 News right here uh, on the voice of Saskatchewan, 620. The sports cage is your locker room pass. We're talking riders on Saskatchewan Sports Radio, 620 CKRM. It's your sports ticker for Bronco Plumbing and Heating, where professional service is guaranteed. They'll treat you right. Give them a call at 781-2090. So we got a busy night in the NHL. 11 games on the ice. Ottawa is home versus the Jackets. St. Louis is in Toronto. All-Canadian matchup with the Calgary Flames in Winnipeg. Montreal at Nashville. And Seattle is in Edmonton. World Junior Hockey Championship Team Canada will face off against the United States tomorrow in the semifinals. 5.30 puck drops the scan one time and the other semi is Czechia as they take on Sweden. That puck drop is at 1.30. The Kings of Saskatchewan Sports Talk. This is the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. Hey folks, your crazy Uncle Carl here. It's time now for cornhole terms that sound dirty, but aren't. <laughs> Double slick side bags. He's able to push his own in. Flop on top and sit on those bags. Pulls in Tyler's bag though. Bring that gray bag in. See the bag official who's actually going to be taking the bags out. Try to limit that contact as much as possible. Goes hard right at the hole. So we call clean. Doesn't touch any part of the hole. Straight through. Jackie is our lone female competitor in this field. It looks like she tried to go with a really hard push and try to push all of them in. She's got a beautiful spin. Well, you're right. It is. It's just a pretty spin, isn't it? Yeah, very pretty. This is not mentioned as an insult, but his bag is just not pretty. Josh's bag just kind of... As it hangs on the edge. It just finds a way into the hole. Oh, wow. He just finds a way to get the bag in the hole. All right, here on the Sports Cage, this is our regular check-in with the Cornhole League. We're your official voice of Cornhole in Saskatchewan, talking with the czar, Caesar of Cornhole, Darren Bradley. How are you today, Darren? Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you too, Baldy. All right, so January, we flipped the calendar. Do we got any big things coming up here in January for Cornhole in Regina? Well, we got our weekly switch holios that are every Friday at the Hungarian Club, 7 p.m. Anybody can come out, throw some bags, have some fun. And then we have a regional tourney in January 18th or 19th-ish coming up. It's on our Facebook page. You can check it out. All right. So, Darren, so suppose I show up here and I play. Can I? Do I have to get so many points to get into the regional? How does that work? 
No, regionals, they just have to be a member of the CCL League, which you can go to their website and register online for $10 for the whole year, and it covers you for entering all those regional tournaments and getting points for the national standing. You know, I was at the Grey Cup, and I was watching Ryder guys throw uh, throw the cornhole bags inside Ryderville. I know it was outside throughout the event. I know you guys have been around the Brandt Centre at Pat's Games. Is this thing catching on locally? Oh, we're open. We wanted to get bigger. We want it to be bigger yet. We want more people to come out and try it out. It's like, honestly, it's like a, it's, it's, it's an athletic cabaret, as I like to call it, right? Over at the Hungarian Club on Fridays. You just hang around. It's almost like you're at an indoor tailgate. Correct. Great times. You're guaranteed <laughs> to have a good time. <laughs> so once again, <laughs> you, you, you have a Facebook page. How else can they get a hold of you? Or is that the best way to get a hold of you over there? That's the best way. We want to keep it simple. One one way, get on there, have a look. Anybody can look at it. It's public. What's the Facebook page? Sask Cornhole League. That's Darren Bradley Caesar with our cornhole update. Let's talk hockey with NHL broadcaster Peter Labardius. Nobody knows the game at all levels like Peter. From the Regina Pats broadcast booth to being a leading voice on Calgary Flames Radio, this is Peter's Puck. That's right, Peter Lubardius, great broadcaster for a long time in this country at uh, all levels of hockey. Even called some football in his day. Uh, softball, this guy has seen all the sports. Let's head out in the Western Pizza Hotline on this uh, Tuesday, which is sponsored, the show is, that is, by uh, Saskatchewan Lotteries, the main fundraiser for over 12,000 sport culture and recreation groups. Two stories dominating the sports landscape, Peter. Connor Bedard, we'll get to that in a second. The other one is a Damar Hamlin, the safety of the Buffalo Bills, who still is in a hospital in Cincinnati in critical condition after that tackle on T. Higgins. Uh, I, I immediately thought of 14-year-old Michael Ball sitting with his dad watching the Moose Jaw Warriors and Regina Pats when Brad Horning went into the end boards, checked by Troy Edwards. My dad was uh, in the medical field then as a EMT guy, or he had retired, but stepped away to something else but he went down to help out as well and uh yeah you could hear a pin drop it went from a celebratory ruckus crowd to just dead silence yeah it's uh i actually vividly remember coming out of the estevan bruins game that i was doing that night and getting into my car and turning on ckrm to see what was happening with the Pats and keeping up to date on the Western Hockey League and uh, yeah, I will never forget Kevin Glant behind the microphone and um, wasn't traumatized the way you would have been in-house but it certainly is um, something that sticks with you forever and unfortunately you know we uh, you know had to say goodbye to that individual um, recently mm. and that was not easy either uh, and the other place it took me Michael is um, when I was in Estevan uh, I saw a young man by the name of Mark Nurmer who was playing for the Minot Americans at the time and uh, an innocent looking hit and you know he was paralyzed from the neck down and probably the only time ever in my life it took me about two weeks to actually be enthused to go back to a hockey rink again. So, yeah, it uh, it was terrifying. Um, I was watching the hockey game last night at at the time, so um, you know, but certainly was 
made aware of it very soon thereafter. And uh, what can you say? Um, whatever you believe, all the greatest wishes, all the prayers, all the great thoughts, you just hope this one, you know, has has a better ending than it certainly was looking. And it's uh, it's a terrifying scenario. Certainly, and, and I echo exactly what you said, and we have throughout the show. Peter, uh, Yessi Pugliarvi, 17 points. Eric Lindros, 17 points. Wayne Gretzky, 17 points. Yarmer Yager, 18 points. Those are the skaters, U18 skaters, in a single World Junior Hockey Championship in terms of point production. Connor Bedard sits atop of all those names at 19. Uh, you are very, uh, you're very good with your words, but are you even running out of ways to describe this phenom uh i am and i am after the last week and travel permitting i will be lucky enough to be able to watch him in person tomorrow night with my son which was his christmas present oh nice two days of the world junior hockey championship and um no you know last night was one of those goals for the ages um, he continues to amaze me, not with just the skill level, but his ability to impact the game at a time, certainly last night when it mattered the most. Uh, the names that you talked about, you know, Wayne had 17 points in the 1978 tournament as a 16-year-old. Um, Eric did it at 17. Um, a lot of the other high-end scores you know, did it later. So that to me brings, you know, a different level to it that he did it at that point. Uh, Connor McDavid or Sidney Crosby did not tear it up like this in their second year and their 17 year old seasons at the world junior. So, um, it's, it's an incredible, it's an incredible precedent. It's certainly helped that, you know, he took full advantage of a couple of situations, including one where he tied the Canadian single game record of seven. But going back to his performance at the World Under-18 in Texas in the spring of 2021 when he had 10 of his 14 points in that event in the playoffs and as a double underage, my favorite thing about players is Yes, points and records are great, and he has put himself, certainly world junior-wise, on a different platform. And if Canada goes on to win the gold medal in the next few days, I think he could stand not alone, but certainly as close to the top as anybody ever has coming out of this event. How do you feel about how Canada's played at this tournament? It's a great question. They, I thought their most complete performance, Michael, in the way um, they're certainly going to have to play tomorrow against an incredibly gifted, fast, skilled American team was how detailed they were basically from start to finish against Sweden in their final game of the round robin. I think that was as close to the blueprint for this group as to how they're going to have to play if they're going to continue on and play for a gold medal and potentially win for a gold medal. 
Michael, when I assess the World Junior Team, and I'll be as honest as I can, I, I think I think to a certain degree this group um, it has a lot of personalities. It has people coming back from the National Hockey League. Um, that's always for me throws potentially a bit of a wrench. There's been you know he deserves it, but. You know, there's been Bedard, 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 and more Bedard. Um, I don't think they've checked very well when they've been asked to check. I haven't loved their details without the puck. Mm -hmm. And my concern about this team going in is, you know, a big, big defense, but not a lot of world junior experience on that defense outside of their best guy, and he's continued to be their best guy, and Olin Zellweger, the Everett Silvertips. And I think you saw at least some evidence as to why Checky has done what they've done. And for me, they were one of the favorites going in. And I saw it in the summer, and they had a returning goalie who was good in the summer. Six guys back on the back end. They're big, they're strong, they work. So it's it's kind of headed down the road that I thought it would. Maybe the only difference might have been is that I didn't see Canada playing as poorly as they did opening night. Mm -hmm. But I don't want to take anything away from their opponent either. All right, lastly, before I let you go, tonight the Calgary Flames take on the Winnipeg Jets. Same type of question for you, Pete. Assess the Calgary Flames season so far. From your vantage point, up and down. Um, but I think Michael, for the first time all year, in the last two weeks, the week going into forget it, it's not a Christmas break when you get about one minute off. Yeah, that's right. They didn't. They didn't play for a couple of days. Um, I think they're playing as well right now as they have all season long. There's more cohesion in their groups. I think some of their, you know, key acquisitions are making more of an impact than they have all season long. Their goaltending has certainly been very good the last few weeks. But not unlike some other teams, and maybe one that you cheer for, I think we all have to understand that, you know, maybe the Pacific Division is a lot better and more competitive certainly in the top five mm -hmm. or six of that division than people thought. And the big factor was Vegas came back. And that wasn't the case last year. So, you know, in both Calgary and Edmonton, a lot of this year it felt like the sky is falling. And yet, if you take a look at the records of both teams at this time, they're not that dissimilar to where they were a year ago. No, and it's a long season, that's for sure. Hey, I really hope that's cool. Uh, the, the thing that sticks out about this interview, I really hope you and your son get to go watch that in person. That is a shared experience. That you, it's priceless, man. Good luck. Uh, cro crossing my fingers for you, and uh, enjoy the World Juniors. I do like the event, yes. No. And all the best to you and yours, and uh, nothing but great things for you and the show and your family in 2023. You too, buddy. Happy New Year. We'll be back with more of the Sports Cage in a moment on 620.
Sports Talk lives here. Welcome to another hour of the Sports Cage with your host, Michael Ball. This is the Craig Dickinson Show, our weekly chat with the writer's bench boss about the latest news from the locker room. It's the only place where Dickie takes questions from Rider Nation. All right, our first chat of 2023 with your coach of the Saskatchewan Upriders, Craig Dickinson. Coach, uh, happy holidays to you. How did you spend the holidays? Well, thank you. Uh, pretty quiet uh, for me. I spent it... Uh... With family and friends here in Great Falls, Montana, and I've had a little bit of a cold. You'll probably hear it in my voice. So I, I laid low. I'm bringing in the new year with a cup of coffee. Did you get a chance to watch those games, uh, the the, the uh, semifinal games in college football? What did you think of those games? Those were exciting. Yeah, yeah, those were good, weren't they? That was just good, solid. I mean, that's just excellent football across the board. Both teams playing well, and you could just see when it. You got two good teams playing, which both of those games, those teams were very evenly matched. It just comes down to one play here or one play there. But, boy, that was uh, entertaining football, that's for sure, yesterday. You watch that Stetson Bennett from Georgia. He reminds you of a CFL quarterback. He's not like NFL size, but he can run, throw the football. That's what he reminded me of. Yeah, and I think I think somebody had him on a nag list up until probably this year. But this year, you know, he's gotten a lot of attention and probably will go fairly high in the NFL draft. So I think somebody dropped him. But, yeah. He manages the game well. It seems like Stetson Bennett, he's at his best. It seems like late in the game when they need him the most. Coach, you talk about the neg list. Uh, there's a guy locally, Mason Nias, Regina kid uh, that played at the U of S, took him to the national championship game two years in a row. I know you guys added him. When might you reach out to him, or how does that work when you put a player on the neg list? Well, the one thing it does is it, is it protects you. So it allows you to really evaluate the guy and make a decision on him. If if you don't have him on the neg list, he's essentially free game for everybody. Mm-hmm. So what what that does, it just gives us the opportunity now this offseason to really watch a lot of tape of him, let our offensive coordinator, Kelly Jeffrey, look at him a little bit more, and then make, you know, make a decision going into camp off of that. So it basically says it's kind of like keep your hands off sort of thing on the neg list. You put a guy on the neg list, the other teams have to keep their hands off, and you can spend a little bit of time evaluating them and decide if that's somebody you want to bring to camp or not. Nice. One nice Christmas present the fans were all saying. You got Naaman Roosevelt, uh, Roosevelt back in the fold. He's the guy that was in training camp with you guys as a guest coach, but now you've added him. What do you like about him? Obviously, you know him as a player, but yeah. what do you like of him as a coach? Yeah, he, just, just good energy. You know, that's the one thing he has. He's very smart and very thin. He's a very tough player, too, so when we had him in, in training camp, Michael, he was a guest coach, and I was very impressed with his his willingness to jump in and, and to dive into the work and it, really his ability to relate to the players and, and explain some of the things that he's learned with, over the course of a successful career to, to them. So uh, we are thrilled to get Naaman on board. He's going to be an offensive assistant. We haven't decided where we're going to use him just yet. We might use him all over the place. But the main thing was to just get – Good people with good work ethic, you know, get them in the building and, and find something that they can do to help us out. But I, I believe he can help us with the receivers, with the running backs, and just, just being on the field with those guys uh, and giving, giving them instruction and giving them encouragement is going to be big time. He's, he's a good dude. 
I think he's got a, a bright future ahead of him as a coach. You know, when you made the moves with the offensive staff, I mean, I don't know if it's a commentary on on their coaching ability because obviously Jason Moss landed on his feet, Stephen Sorrells in Edmonton, Travis Moore now in Ottawa. So obviously other uh, coaches think they're good. Maybe it's just a case where you're looking just to change things up, right? Fresh ideas, different energy, that type of thing. Absolutely. And all three of them are good coaches. I think I said that even when, when we released them. You know, they're all good coaches and they're all good people. But sometimes the fit's just not quite right for some reason. So I think a fresh start, Michael, is good for everybody. I think all three coaches landed on their feet and probably feel like they're in a good situation now, and I'm happy for all three of them. And we feel like we're going to have a a fresh start in Saskatchewan with a new staff on offense. And um, sometimes a a fresh start is good for everybody. I think this is one of those cases. Kelly Jeffrey is a guy that has a pretty good resume. We know what he did with Mount Allison, turning it around, uh, grew up in Texas, bounced around the NCAA. Like, he's got an impressive resume, and Luke Moliner and I were talking about this. Uh, it's, you know, we've always said perceptions, everything, and facts are negotiable. So it's perceived maybe he was your last choice, but who cares if he's the last guy standing? He is the last guy standing, and he's got a pretty good resume. He does got a good resume, and we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have thrown him in the mix if we didn't know that. So... I think he's, uh, you're right. I think he might be a little bit of a, uh, you know, that, that sort of that sleeper that people didn't really notice, but in the end uh, might be the best candidate of all. And we're, we're thrilled to have him. I mean, I, I wanted to hire him two years ago because I knew, I knew he had a lot of stuff to him. I'll just leave it there. He had a lot of stuff to him. There was more to him than, than, than met the eye. He was very smart. He'd had more experience than, you realize when you started going through his resume and he's been a head coach and a play caller. And I think that is so valuable um, when you want to add somebody on the offensive side of the ball or defensive side. Did he have so, a, did he I'm have... really thrilled. Yeah, I'm thrilled with him. I think he's a great hire and I think he's going to do a great job. Did he get a lot of input this past year in his first year with the team as the running backs coach? No, he didn't. And then I think, I think by allowing him, giving him the key to the offense and, and surrounding him with good people too. That's, that's the key. I think you're going to see, at least the goal is a much more collaborative approach, and I think you're going to see uh, his fingerprints all over the offense, and I'm excited to see what that looks like. What kind of advice would you give to a guy like Kelly, or uh, more specifically a name in Roosevelt who's just cutting his teeth as a coach? Just keep working, you know. Um, don't don't ask why sometimes. Just work, you know. When you, when you get assigned a project, do the very best job you can at it, and, and when it's done, get, get your hands ready for, for the next thing. I think sometimes as a young coach, you try to figure out where you where you fit in before before you've really really uh, put the work in that that allows staff to figure out where you best fit in. So that that would be my advice to name it and all young coaches is just go to work, find out you know when you get a project, do the best you can at it, and don't worry about necessarily where you might fit in or or, or what your future looks like. Just work as hard as you can in the day, and usually usually where you fit in will. We'll figure itself out because you you'll prove yourself valuable and and uh, and you'll end up getting more and more responsibility. I know he had a pretty good year, but uh, there were a couple of things behind the scenes, maybe, or he, he seemed a little cantankerous. I'm not going to lie to you; I was shocked when you guys re-signed Nick Marshall. We know the whole, you know, what you said in the media as opposed to what was said in the dressing room, and you apologized to the team. Was there any tentativeness on re-signing Nick Marshall, and what did that look like when it came down to re-signing him? No, Nick's a good dude. I mean, and and in today's today's world with Twitter and you know, sometimes something can get taken out of context. And 
And there's going to be disagreements. Like Nick and I have had disagreements before, and we'll probably have more in the future. But they've always been respectful and uh, and considerate. And he's a good. He's a good. First of all, he's a good player. He's got tremendous ball skills. Now he's got to improve in a couple of areas, and he knows what he needs to do. And we're going to work hard to try to improve him. He's got to improve as a tackler, and he knows that. And uh, and we're going to work hard this off season try to try to get him to tackle better. But um, he's an outstanding cover guy. He's a good teammate, um, smart, and we just feel like anytime you can add a good veteran player, we've got a lot of free agents, Michael. So we felt like we we had a. a the ability to sign Nick, we felt like he was coming in at a fair market value, and we wanted to sign sign our our players as best we could. So um, I feel good about Nick, and I think he's still one of the top DBs in the league. He's got a few things to work on, like we said, but you know he brings a lot to the table. So anytime you can sign players like that, I think it's good. Well, he can tackle because he showed it. I think it's the consistency in that area, at least from my vantage point. Oh, there's no doubt. He's 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 a tough kid. He just I think we can give him some technique, and we can just drill it. And, uh, and but I think he's a good football player. You know, you ask. One thing we've learned is through the interview process, we asked all the candidates to evaluate our roster, mm-hmm. and almost every candidate said the same thing about Nick: outstanding ball skills. Uh, when the ball's in the air, it's not truly a fifty-fifty because Nick's liable to catch it probably more than half the time. So we feel like he's a good player. Um, he got hit a couple times, and he knows it, but. Uh, we think we can we can make improvements on that, and I think I think he can be a solid player for us. You're smarter than me in the game of football. You've been around. So when a guy like Kean Schaefer Baker gets six, seven workouts in the NFL, are you reading the tea leaves along with Jeremy O'Day and say, "Hey, it's probably a good bet this guy doesn't start the season with us at least." Yeah, I don't I don't know what's going to happen with him. Jeremy and I actually had a good little visit the other day about it. Um, what you usually figure out, Michael, is when they start getting upward to five, six, seven workouts, somebody's going to like him. You know, I mean, and he's athletic enough and big enough that if they, you know, if they look at the film and then they work him out and he's moving like he's capable of, he's probably going to get a look down there. So, um, without without knowing for sure, uh, we do believe he's 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 probably going to get signed down there, and if that's the case, then. And we got to look at, at going a different route at receiver, but um, you know, I wish him wish him all the best. We'll we'll know soon enough. I know the date's coming pretty soon where the guys have to either get an offer or not. And uh, I'm pulling for Keen Schaefer Baker because I know he wants a shot down there. Charbel Debeer, your thoughts on uh, you lost weight last year going into the season? I know you guys re-signed him. Just your thoughts on uh, what you saw from him last year and going forward. I love Charbel. Just a high motor guy, plays with great effort all the time. It's tough. You know, he played last year with a messed up thumb most of the season. So I just think anytime you can send good, solid Canadian uh, players, you want to do it. And uh, Charbel's one of those guys we could put him in at any time on defense, and he, he helped. We could, we could put him in on special teams. He played a lot of punt return and kickoff return for us. And he's just a great guy in the locker room, really well-respected and well-liked. So um, I'm very happy we got him back. And uh, we started this conversation, Coach, talking about uh, college football down south. Mike Leach passed away, uh, and uh, he was uh, instrumental in influencing the game with his air raid attack. We had uh, Jamal Morrow on the show, uh, coached by Mike Leach uh, Leach in Washington. And uh, Mike went to him and said, uh, hey, Jamo, CFL would be a good league for you if you uh, don't make the NFL. So maybe we can credit Mike Leach for pushing Jamal Morrow to Canada. And uh, he's a nice resign. 
signing. Yeah, he's a good one. Jamal's a good football player, and I think his his best football is still ahead of him. And I and, and similar to Charvel, he just brings such good energy to the team. You just love having that guy in the locker room. So really, really happy to see Jamo back, and really sad to see Mike go. You know, I I met Mike a long time ago when I was a university coach at the University of Montana when I first started coaching, and he was at uh, Valdosta State, and he he has always been. Uh, the most interesting guy in the room, even back then in his younger days. He's just a, just a fantastic football mind, very down-to-earth guy. I've uh, you know, I got to know him over the years. I, I wouldn't say we were good friends, but certainly good enough I could call him and, and visit with him at any time. And uh, I actually called and asked him about Jamal three, four years ago, and he said, he said to me, Jamal was the best player on the field. And I said, well, what do you mean by that? He said, didn't matter who we were playing, he was the best player on the field. And so he had very high praise for Jamal Morrow. And uh, I know Jamal, just like I, had a lot of respect and really a lot of love for Coach Leach. He was a good man. Hey, Coach, thanks. Happy New Year. And we'll talk to you next week. Sounds good, Michael. It's time to step into the radio octagon. You're tuned to the Sports Cage on Saskatchewan Sports Radio, 620 CKRM. Well, we don't have our next guest for long, so let's get right to it. Ballsy along with Sean Kleisinger here. It's the Sports Cage in our new time slot, but we have a very a good guest that joins us on a regular basis. Head coach, GM of your Regina Pats, John Paddock. John, Happy New Year. Welcome to the show. Thanks for taking a quick couple of seconds to talk to us. Thank you. Happy New Year to you guys. Yeah, okay, so Matthew Keeper, the goaltender, goes to Kamloops for a fourth and a uh, uh, sixth-round pick, fourth and 23, sixth and 25. Just talk about the trade, if you can. Yeah, I just think it was uh, sort of mutually, as Matthew and I talked about, more opportunity. Um, He had a good start to the season, and things went a little bit sideways, and uh, he's a good goaltender, and... uh, you know, for us, the return is Edmonton's fourth-round pick, so it's right at the top of the fourth round. So, in some ways, you could view it as a third-rounder and uh, later-year pick. So, um, we're confident in Drew, and, and uh, Kelton Pine's a good young goalie, so um, that's why it was made. Coach, do you like the GM side better or the coaching side better? <laughs> that's, a, that's a tough question because... I think that as much as anything, you're doing it all, and you're, you know, you have some control or say over everything. Um, you know, the coaching is really exciting and the best part for me always at seven o'clock at night. Like that's <laughs> that's when you're playing, and that's when you your decisions can make a difference in the game. When it might be just having somebody take a face off, like it might be the smallest thing that nobody ever notices or sees or thinks about. Um, the manager part is quite often, you know, projecting down the road on draft picks and trades, and it's just a different uh, adrenaline rush. Um, coaching is gives you that rush for sure. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, coach, is it tough though? It, it, like you've been in the NHL, you've been all over the place. Have you experienced different things? Uh, that's more a business. Now, I know people could say, "Well, this is a business too," and to some extent, it is. But you are dealing with young people here and trading them and moving them around. Is that t- does that always is that always hard for you? Yeah, that's always hard, no matter what. Um, you know, uh, my first well, my first ones in Regina, but 
first ones in Regina were trading uh, Dryden Hunt and Kyle Burroughs, and I'd only been with them for four or five months. And, uh, you know, but it's not funny how it works out, but just, you know, if you have open communication all the time, those are two of the guys that I may hear from the most in just, you know, an hello or a Merry Christmas or something. And uh, so it's it's business, but, uh, you know, it's about relationships overall with all your players, really. You'd be a guy I wouldn't want to disappoint in terms of a work ethic and not putting in an effort. Uh, Ken Snyder was on our uh, post-game show with Dante the other day after you lost to PA, and he didn't seem too happy. He was pretty blunt. He used lack of effort a lot during the interview. What do you want to see tomorrow night in Brandon against the Wheat Kings? Well, we got to come up with a, certainly a better game and play. Um, you know, play how we're supposed to play. And when you do that, you don't always win every game by any means, but uh, that's probably a a good way of describing it. Uh, and it was, you know, most disappointing thing, it was from start to finish. And, uh, you know, there wasn't a lot to be happy about. So, you know, we took away the day off yesterday and uh, had a pretty strenuous hour and a half and, um, it doesn't guarantee a win, but I think we'll be a lot sharper and more focused uh, tomorrow night. As you're sitting in your uh, office, coach, or in your man cave watching that game last night, Connor Bedard with his puck on the with a puck on his string and just deking out three guys and then the goalie. You see it in a practice. You see it during the games. What are you seeing from your uh, sniper in this tournament? If you get a chance to watch much of it, uh, that uh, you know, is there something else you're seeing from him, or is it just uh, as per advertised? Uh, well, <laughs> that's, that's tough to describe really. I think that, um, you know, I've sent out some texts. I got lots of people texting me that, you know, we only talk or see each other once a year mm-hmm. and he's talking, they're talking about, uh, how he's looked and I, you know, I'm saying there's my final response was, there's just no words to describe it. I think if you're, if you're doing this as a 19 year old, um, it would be much the same reaction, but it'd be like, you know, sort of half suspected or expected for us. Uh, I don't think anything he does surprises us, but overall in the big picture to do what he's doing at 17 and shattering the records of the people he's shattering, um, is crazy. And, uh, was it expected at any time? No, just because, you know, he just don't expect it. But when you look at him and what he's, can do, you know, on our team and what he does and stuff. You know, the flip side of that is for me is like, in some ways, I'm never surprised. Yeah, coach, is there in a minute or less? Is there anybody you can compare him to, uh, either that you've seen with your own eyes or that you've watched through all your uh, years in the hockey world? Uh, no, I was talking to somebody a scout today. Like his shot really sets him apart. Like that's the first thing that was noticed. You know probably early in his WHL career, I guess early in his career, there wasn't really any scouts allowed in the building, but his shot set, us, set him apart. Uh, for me, the names that, you know, I, have, I hear from NHL scout people are Kane and Kucherov and Stamkos and, you know, that group of players that play like that that can make plays and score goals, but, you know, he shoots the puck, you know, I know Matthews is the guy he really studies and watches and shooting and um, you know, they're different body types completely, but 
you know, that, I don't know. You, you see the same as I do. I just happen to see it more often. <laughs> I love it. Hey, man, you're a guy I'd like to break bread with one day, and it's on me whenever we can sync up our schedules, okay? All right. That sounds good. Thanks. Right. That's John Paddock, head coach and GM of your Regina Pats. When we come back, Glenn Suter wraps the show up, and we'll have a Pat Chat segment, too, where you'll get to hear from Ken Schneider, like I said, following their loss to PA. This is the Sports Cage on 620. Wind Co-op. We're talking sports on your way home. This is the Sports Cage on Sports Radio 620 CKRM. All the way to the Pats Nat Center in front and a good glove save by Drew Sim on Harrison Lodwick. A race for the puck. Crocker to the right side now making his way to the middle. He scores! A backhander that goes through the legs of Drew Sim. All the way to the far boards. Goldsmith gets it down low. Anderson behind the net. Centered in front of the slot and Pakala goes top corner. He scores! Here's Richie tapping the puck over the blue line to Stanek. Gets it back. Ryder Richie all alone. He scores. Top corner. Ryder Richie down to the corner. Lost it. And that one's cleared off the boards. And, and it's banked out past the defenseman. Kosher, a breakaway opportunity. Braxton Whitehead all alone. Scores! Lodewick trying to drive around Feist. Down low. Centered in front. They score. Anderson right between the hash mark. Raiders with numbers into the pat zone. Here's Stanek in the slot. He shoots. Deflected in front. Rebound. They score. Ryder Richie with his second. Second of the night. Here's Aremba. Back to five on five hockey for Armstrong. Right side. Centered in front. Scores! And that'll do it. The Prince Albert Raiders come into Regina and they leave the Brandt Center with a 5-2 victory over the host Regina Pats here on New Year's Day. And this is Pat Chat. You heard right there the call from Dante DeCary as the Pats open the 2023 calendar year with a home ice loss to the Prince Albert Raiders. Here was DeCary in conversation with Pat's assistant coach. Ken Schneider following the game. Pretty disappointing, to be quite honest with you, Dante. Um, not often that I I, I I feel this way, but tonight was just uh, a really poor effort in our part. You know, it's really tough to put a finger on it. I know you and I talked after the Brandon game. Did you see some similar occurrences from the Brandon game? Not a lot of energy, not a lot of not a lot of will to get the puck to the net and stuff like that. What do you, what do you think about yeah, that? Yeah, just a total lack of effort, uh, to be quite frank. Uh, I'm being pretty blunt, but that's yeah. exactly how it was. Very little effort to can't score goals if you're not if you're not working hard and trying to have the puck and get the puck to the net. The Regina Pats return to the ice tomorrow night against the Brandon Wheat Kings in Manitoba. A game you can catch right here on 620 CKRM beginning with the pregame show at 635. The Pats are back here against the Seattle Thunderbirds Friday. Every time Saskatchewan gets in second or long, they've been bringing Glenn Suter up on the outside. Sometimes they blitz him, sometimes they don't. But when he's blitzed, he's had success. And it's picked up by Suter. He runs it out of It's time for press coverage as former Ryder greats and veteran CFL football broadcaster Glenn Suter shares his unique and passionate perspective about the league we love with Ryder Nation. All right, I want to uh, backtrack a second. Our Pat Chat is brought to you by our friends at Canadian Brew House in Moose Jaw and their locations in Regina as well. Also want to give a shout out here to our friends at Quality Tire with nine locations across Saskatchewan. QualityTire.ca. They're sponsoring press coverage with Glenn Suter. Happy New Year, my friend. Happy New Year, Michael and and Zinger. Uh, Hope everyone in Saskatchewan had a happy and safe New Year and holiday season. Yeah, it's... uh... It's um, 
interesting because the calendar flips. I'm watching all these great football games, U.S. college games, and and, and uh, some good NFL games, and I'm settling down to flip between Bedard and what he's doing on the ice and the, the Monday night game, and I watch Hamlin make this tackle on T. Higgins. Just a routine crossing route, gets him up high, drags him down, so I'm like, okay, I'll switch over to see what Canada's doing. I come back, and they're all in devastation there in uh, Cincinnati, and I was like, wow, that didn't, then you see everything come out, uh, but it was like, th- that was just a routine tackle. It wasn't even one of the, I watched the USC Tulane game, and the USC safety just lights up. It was a hellacious hit. He got kicked out for targeting, and that was way more dangerous looking. Yeah, just, you know, you're when you're a part of the fraternity, and if you're a fan of the game, you're part of the fraternity in a different way, and uh, but whether you're an ex-player or coach or a player or current or, you know, in, on, in the media, that, that you know, it, it hits home. It's kind of like a family member. So I think, you know, it, that's the first thing that comes to mind is, is DeMar and, and his recovery. And we're all sort of, you know, we're just we're, we're just hoping and praying if you if you are someone who prayers uh, prays that that he makes a full recovery and, uh, you know, can get back on the field. I, I've seen on Twitter, um, or just get on with life, first of all, but I've, se- I've seen on Twitter that has happened in other sports as well, Chris Pronger uh, back in 1998, and, and Pronger needed CPR on the ice and after getting hit by a puck in the chest and a similar situation, it sounds like. I don't know all the facts on, on DeMar's injury, but, um, you know, he played 12 more seasons after that. Uh, I saw on CNN last night that Sanjay Gupta, the, the doctor that, that contributes to CNN, that it, it, it happens so rare and, and it's, it's uh, sort of a blunt impact to the chest at just the worst possible time in between heartbeats or something. And he said he's seen it in baseball occasionally, but it's, it's very, very rare. So I, I think when you think about it, you, you obviously just hope for a recovery here. With Demar, you're 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 thinking about his family and the well wishes and whatever you can do. I know he has a charity that you can contribute. You can probably see that on Twitter if you want, and uh, you know you can. He's got a GoFundMe page that goes to his charity for kids. Um, apparently, there's over three million dollars in that now, so that's fantastic. Almost are, four now, so yeah, yeah, it's fa- it's fantastic. You know, it's it's trying to do something, right? I mean. You don't know DeMar personally, but again, you're in the fraternity. This hurts. It, it's terrible to see. We hope for a speedy recovery. You know, uh, we had Mike Edom get hurt here on the field. I think you were broadcasting that game. I remember back in the day, didn't James Bell of Edmonton hurt his neck one time, if I'm not mistaken? Yeah. And then yeah. I think even Bobby Johnson, the old running back for the Rough Riders, had a had a neck situation too, if I'm not mistaken, just jogging my memory. Um, but it's interesting because you said it, we're a fraternity. We had John Ryan on the show earlier. John has nothing to do with this kid. And we were talking, and he got choked up, visibly choked up on the radio here uh, just yeah. about it. It, it, it really is something because I've said you go behind the locker room doors. It doesn't matter if you're black or white or Asian, what religion you are, what politics you follow. You guys, for each week, you put on the same jersey. You put that all aside, and you know what he put into it. They know what you put into it, and you, your teammates. And uh, it, it really to watch those uh, players yesterday was something else. Yeah, that's what, and that's what you you love about about team sports for sure but but in particular contact team sports where 
you know, it, it does ask of you what, what really nothing else in, in, um, you know, civil life, not, not in the armed forces or a police officer or firefighter, but, um, you know, like in, in regular life and playing a sport, uh, you know, whether it's hockey or rugby or, or football or whatever, if it's a contact sport, you, you have a brotherhood with the guy beside you in the locker room like none other. It's, it's like this trust that is necessary. Sometimes you don't even have to be best buddies with the guy, but you just, you have to have that respect. You know the work that he's done. He knows the work that you've done, but you have each other's back. And that's one thing that people love about pro sports. So, you know, I, we, I, I hope that the NFL just puts, uh, DeMar Hamlin and his families and, and his teammates on both of those teams that were in that game. And whatever the decision they make moving forward, that they do it starting with those, with DeMar and, and everybody around him. So that's... Well, I think, Glenn, I, sure. I think Roger Goodell, Roger Goodell, in, in concert with his owners, uh, they should step forward because there's a lot of talk in sports in general that the, the management and owners and the, at the end of the day, the league doesn't care about players. Here's one thing where you could tell betting, TV contracts, and all of that to take a backseat to a human. They should say, it's a tie ball game, we don't care about the standings, and everybody gets a week off. Because if we really care about the players, the mental health side has to factor in too. Well, I, it does. It absolutely does. And, uh, you know, I, again, I, I'm not sure what the solution is here. I think both teams and both families and DeMar's family certainly has to be part of this discussion. Uh, DeMar himself, hopefully, um, that, you know, he can make a recovery and, and be back and communicate. But again, I, I think some, some space, whatever, whatever the league is going to do has to make the priority the person here first. And then with that as your baseline, you know, give give both the teams and maybe the entire league a week. Um, I, I like the idea of a tie. I think if you if you go back and you and you look down the road and you say somewhere down the road we can we can revisit if playoffs come into fact you know and factor yeah. into this. But but again, I'm not putting the game of football ahead of this young man's life. Uh, I just, this is going to be something logistically they're going to have to sort out. But again, make DeMar and, and his family the baseline where you start, what, what they need and what, and how you can help them and then move forward from there. What I hope it doesn't happen here though, Michael, and I, I really, um, you know, I, I hope what, what we should do is, is think about him as a person, uh, be supportive as, as you can in any way you can. Uh, understand that it's so rare and and not vilify the game of football and take this opportunity to do that. That's a different discussion. You want to talk about football, uh, you know, and and contact sports being uh, having risk involved. They do. Not everybody can play contact sports, um, and you have to train and prepare yourself for it mentally and physically. But uh, I hope we don't take this time to vilify. Let's let's. Think about the player. Think about the person. Hope the NFL handles it properly. Um, gives the guys some time. I mean, how do you prepare for another week when you got a guy in the hospital and what we saw? You know, it's. it's it, I think giving them a week somehow is is super important, especially for these two teams. I don't know if you can do it for everybody, but I'm not sure how they're going to handle it. <laughs> but I hope they put the guys first. Suits. 
Suits. You uh, you probably tried to make a similar tackle that Hamlin did, trying to do whatever you could do to bring down Blake Marshall. I mean, it's a one in a million thing. He got exactly. he he got hit in the millisecond that it takes for his one heartbeat to transfer to the other heartbeat. That's basically what it was. It was a heart punch at the exact time that had to be for something like this to happen. So yeah, we've made the game of football as safe as we can make it. it, it it's it, it's going to it's going to be what it is. And uh, let's just pray for this kid for sure. But I do want to wrap the bow up here by translating it to the CFL, okay? Because there are there they are all professional athletes, and these guys are making decent money in the CFL in terms of um, you know playing a a kid's game. But let's be honest here: the CFL, these guys are taking a pounding, and they are—they're <laughs> not getting paid NFL salaries. They're playing for the love of the game. Well, yeah, I mean, they're playing for their livelihood, and you know, I—I've I, been listening to not only you know, obviously our show, but um, all uh, you know, a lot of radio and a lot of television all day and and late last night and. Uh, you know, I keep hearing this, you know, it's just a game, and that's true. But for a professional athlete, it's his livelihood. It's it's how he puts food on the table. It's, you know, um, there is there is more risk involved with a police officer. One was recently shot, a rookie police officer, shot on a routine, uh, you know, check of a car and, and killed. Um, you know, every day they get a 911 call, they have, they, there is risk involved with that call. They go out and put their lives on the line. So do firefighters. So do our men and women in the armed forces. Um, you know, and, and every one of those people understand uh, that there is risk involved with the choice they've made in their livelihood and to, to pursue their goal or their dream or their livelihood. And that in pro sports, this, it, it is more than just a game for, for professional athletes. It's, it's how you put food on the table for your family. So, you know, they, they do understand, I mean, not this severe, you, you block out the thought of uh, a neck head or anything remotely close to what DeMar Hamlin is going through in his family right now. You, you block that out, but athletes also understand what they've signed up for. And, and so do cops and so do firefighters. Um, and, and they take great pride in, in being great at their game, being great at their jobs. And, you know, in the case of firefighters and, and police officers, you know, protecting uh, our way of life and protecting us as citizens. So, um, yeah, I think we always have to keep that in mind, that this, this, is, this is their jobs. And, and they understand, not, not to the extent of DeMar Hamlin, but they understand that there is risk involved with this, with this career. We'll be back with our second segment of press coverage with Glenn Suter for Quality Tire in a moment here on The Voice of Saskatchewan, 620. Ah, uh, yeah, Frank Reich let go by the Indianapolis Colts. Jeff Saturday takes over from the broadcast booth, and it didn't work out so well. We'll have to see what happens in Indianapolis. Will Ursay have... Saturday comeback, will he bring in a Sean Payton type? Maybe Jim Harbaugh from Michigan said he's open to coming back to the NFL. That feels like a Midwestern feel to it, going from Michigan to Indianapolis and Indiana. Balls here along with Sean Kleisinger, and joining me on the Western Pizza Hotline is our friend Glenn Suter, second half of the um, 
press coverage show here inside the sports cage. So you got a couple of texts here, Glenn, over the holidays that I want to get to here. Uh, this one mm-hmm. from um, Bob. Did you ever wish that you would have gone into coaching? <laughs> yeah, co- coaches are lunatics, man. <laughs> <laughs> the, the amount of uh, time that is necessary. No, you know, I, I have. I've, I've, you know, thought about, you know, I, I, I coach minor hockey, uh, actually coach minor hockey at the same rink that Connor Bedard played some of his uh, minor hockey at uh, here in North Vancouver and did that for six or seven years and just love to be part of trying to, you know, build great character uh, locker room and, and culture and, um, you know, and, tr- and, tr- and try to lead young men in this case, or, or young women, if you're coaching women's sports, but uh, I, I thought of it, uh, you know, I think it, it quickly changed for me though, Michael, when, um, you know, about two or three years into broadcasting that if I ever got back into the game directly, I'd rather do it from an administration point of view, like, you know, on the GM side, president side, even, mm-hmm. and, and not to step in at that level, but to go that route, to be sort of growing, trying to build and grow the game from, from the league office possibly, or possibly from the executive offices of a, of a team. So you're a broadcaster. Tammy wants to know at nine three six sixty two sixty two. What do you, Glenn Suter, want to do a better job of this year in the broadcast booth? That's a great question uh, because I always self scout. I mean, I it's hard to watch yourself or listen to yourself. I, I know it. I Hate don't it. know if it. Hate it. Yeah, Hate it. I do it though. What I do is I get on yeah. the plane. Luke will laugh. I'll be on the plane on the charter flying home, and I'm listening to the game uh, in my headset, right, like in my uh, AirPods, because. I don't want to listen to a July game in November because I forget the feel, the sense, what I could have done differently. I I know the game because I just called it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's funny because when you when you listen to yourself back, everybody knows what this is like. Uh, they've recorded themselves singing or whatever, and they listen back and go, "Is that what I sound like?" And you you just don't hear your voice the same when you hear it back, but. I do a lot of self-scouting. I will look at how I describe sort of, you know, a, a five-yard run off tackle. I'll look if I have any crutch words that I go to too often. I think we can all get caught in that as broadcasters. But here, here's a couple of bigger picture things I want to I want to improve on this year. I want to get better at understanding the rules. And and I I try to take pride in that every off season to really dig into the rule book. Um, but I want to I want to be able to be right as many to all like ninety nine point nine percent of the time because I I don't think there's anything any such thing as perfect but to to when when a penalty happens or when a rule is is being decided or a challenge has happened on the field I want to be able to with great accuracy and precision explain to the fan exactly what the league is looking at what the official probably is trying to call here and how the coaches may rule on it one way or another, whoever has the decision to make. So I, I want to work on that. And the other thing, Michael, is, is to step away and in the preparation week before games, I love being in the booth, but in the preparation, I'm going to, I'm going to try to relax more. I'm not going to be as much on Twitter. I am not going to uh, get as angry as I do with some of the narratives that I see on a weekly basis. 
I'm going to try and take a deep breath and not do that quite as often this year. Good point, man. Thanks for answering that from Tammy. You can always text us, 936-6262. Glenn, um, give me three CFL resolutions. Three things the league should uh, be resolute to doing this year. Yeah, it's that time of year, isn't it? Uh, get to the weight room is, is one of the things. Uh, no, I, I uh, for me, I guess the first one, and, and maybe most importantly, is to just put a full freeze on any sort of major rule changes, or even any rule changes for that matter. I, I think we've examined the game. Uh, some of the changes you may have liked in recent history, some you may not have, but uh, you know, I thought the entertainment value of Canadian football was fantastic last year. Let's let's take a, a break on not not the discussion of rule change or discussion of of rule changes or the education in that regard, but just no more changes for a few years. Let's 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 we we have a great game. You know, let's continue to talk about it, but let's put more of the budget into officiating. Let's give them. Uh, more uh, resources to work with. Let's work on the interpretation of rules that we currently have in place, and let's stop making the changes. Put a freeze on that. That's that's resolution number one. All in. Mm-hmm. Uh, just how to look at offici- officiating. Number two, uh, open the line of communications. If I was in the league office, that would be one that I'd really want to push. Is to is to be more open in communication with the fan from the league office and really pound the messaging that you and I do all the time, which is just the high quality of the athlete and and game that we have. And let's just be proud of it, proud of our Canadians playing it. You know, there's athletes like, you know, Kean Schaefer-Baker that you you stand him beside Connor Bedard and you'd see two fantastic athletes, world-class guys. And, one happens to play in Canadian football and the other in hockey, and he's going to be a number one draft pick. <laughs> and, and wow, what a game. But uh, pound that messaging. That'd be number two. And number three for me is put Amar Doman as a, uh, a board chair. I, I just I think he's got a lot to give, and everybody can learn from him. I love his approach. I love his messaging. And let's let's – I know he's new as far as ownership goes, but I, I put him in a position of, of – leadership in the board chair all right and lastly you just touched on it. it's perfect it's like we know what we're talking about around here in the sports cage <laughs> you're a canadian guy very patriotic i'm patriotic um i, I know you were watching the game last night because you referenced it our own superstar in our own backyard connor bedard here uh, as a guy who plays beer league hockey and, and coaches young hockey just your thoughts on what you're seeing from bedard yeah i just i i love it and i you know Here's, here's what I look at because this is what I do when I'm sitting on the bench. I always say I'm a, I'm a fourth-line center on a three-line team <laughs> in our beer league hockey. But <laughs> when I'm sitting on the bench and I'm watching our best players, you know, every team, whatever level you're at, has their best players, has their Connor Bedards in their lineup. And we have one, his name is Mike Ruby. And, uh, you know, when I watch him, you know what impresses me when he backchecks? When he backchecks his butt off. Mm-hmm. And Connor Bedard, I watch away from the puck and how he gets open. And I say, that's what I just love. I just, I love that he's a great teammate. He, he will stand in front of the net and take a pounding to be in good position to screen the goalie so that his point man could try and get a puck through. I just, 
those type of things. His skill is phenomenal, but everybody in the hockey world talks about his skill. I'll leave that to them. What, what I love is that he's a great teammate like a Sidney Crosby that will play at both ends of the ice, play super hard, back check his butt off, and be there for his teammates. That's what I love about Connor Bedard, and he's, our, he's ours. He's our kid. He's Canadian kid, North Van, Saskatchewan, Regina Pats. We love him. It's awesome, man. And you're our teammate, and we're happy for it. We're ready to kick some butt again in 2023. Thanks for your time, and we will talk to you on Thursday, Suits. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, Zinger. Take care. Thanks, Glenn. Have Take a good care. night. Take care. That is uh, Glenn Suter for press coverage here. Quality Tire, the sponsor. That'll do it for our show. But if you missed any of the first three-hour show in Sports Cage, Sports Cage history, Brought to you by Saskatchewan Lotteries on this Tuesday. Sean Kleisinger will put up the sports cage in its entirety on a podcast, and you can get it wherever you get your podcast. Tomorrow, Sean, I'm just going to give them a little. I'm going to whet their appetite, okay? Yeah, let's do this. Al Murdoch, voice of CKRM, is also the voice of the Vancouver Canucks, and he was the voice of the Winter Classic at Fenway Park. He will join us tomorrow, as will new assistant coach for the Calgary Stampeders, the Sports Cage's own Nick Lewis, Dante DeCaria from Brandon as they get set to take on the Wheat Kings. We'll also hear from Mike Kelly from the NHL Network, Farhan Lalji, and Max Polischuk, an up-and-coming football player who's playing. He's from Regina. He's playing in the FCS championship game with South Dakota State University in Texas coming up on the weekend. This has been the Sports Cage for Saskatchewan Lotteries on 620 CKRM.